to start. You always say that, and then and then you start. <laughs> you could you could cut together like a, an edit of, of every episode where you say. I'm sure. No where to begin. Yeah, it's always like that. You get overwhelmed with all the things that you notice in this music and the things that you that you're interested in, and then you hard to find the like. Where do we go first? Okay, let's let's just jump in, into it. Um, Blake, when did you know that you needed Chris for this album? Well, this album, I think, is representative of, 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 of an aspect of the work that Chris and I had been doing as a result of just meeting each other. And, yeah. and um, the, the uh, circumstances under which that happened were based more on the Daisy Jones and the Six television show. Yeah. So I, I got tapped to write the music for that. And the first person I reached out to and and um, desired working with was Chris. And that's kind of how we met. And we began looking at uh, a, a process that happened over email because Chris is living, he lives in Vermont, I'm in Los Angeles. So we would uh, send th some things back and forth. And over the course of the first um, year or so of, of writing music together, some of the things that that we pulled up were appropriate for the show and some of them were not. And uh, and some of the things <laughs> that, that just didn't make it into that series um, were, were still on our minds and like were obviously worth pursuing. So yeah. we tabled them, and uh, and and once things cooled down with the show, uh, we there was there was an understanding based on how well it was going that we were going to be making records together, and yeah. then we started figuring out what you know mm -hmm. what shape those would would take, and the most logical one first was to make a solo record. Um, To me, actually, I was I was thinking we would make a, a duo record. Right. And as we discussed it, I think some things about the limitations of it being something from my voice, something written from my voice and thought of as coming through that uh, uh, angle um, made sense creatively. And I think it also allowed for there to be this idea of a negative, a role reversal Right. You know, later on where you know the two of us could be working on a chris weissman record and and that's so appealing as well mm -hmm. so, yeah i i think that's kind of that sort of sums yeah. up our i don't think we uh, there's not a lot of music on jelly road that's literally from the daisy jones pro daisy jones project <clears throat> there's just one which one But, is it I don't know. What, what, which one do you think it is? Okay. Um, <laughs> I would say um, Breakthrough Moon, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a song that we wrote together. <clears throat> and that Blake, I was never interacting directly with the show people. But Blake was, you know, pushing that song throughout i think yeah. and they just didn't bite for that one <laughs> but um 
I mean, I think I don't think when we were really it wasn't like a, obvious that we were going to include it. It it because it seemed like such a different space we were in when we were making your album. Mm-hmm. And um, but then when you if you just take away the knowledge that it's that it was written for this like very different show. It, and then put it on the record. It, it it felt it felt good there. Yeah. Even though it's it, it I think it fits too. It's totally. like it's the way that it doesn't fit is just the idea that it was written for that show. But if you take that away, it's like it's kind of it's kind of boldly, you know, it's harmonically simpler. It's 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 I feel like it's a breath of fresh air on the album. For me, I love that song. It yeah. has a jam vibe. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It feels it inviting. Up- like Come come up and play. Let's play. Let's yeah. just play together. Mm-hmm. That's the vibe that I get from that song. Yeah. That's the cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. So yeah. I'm curious, um, Chris, mm. you're really used to working on your own. <laughs> yes. Very much so. Yes. So... How did the collaborative process feel to you? Did it pre- uh, present challenges or um, did you discover new things about yourself that made you think differently about how to mm. approach music in general or working on a song? Mm. You know? I think I think that any, I mean, it's been really great and it's been actually really easy working with Blake um and really fun it's just been you know just it's been such a and it has been a change like in my career too um but I think that there's I think that attempting to learn anything from the collaboration that I could just then apply. I, l- let me put it this way. I don't think I'm about to be like Mr. Collaboration. I don't <laughs> think, oh, it's just like, yeah, let's write songs with other people, you know, because that that is like a, kind of an, I think it's becoming, at least from my limited point of view, it's becoming more normal for people to do sessions and write with other people and, and all that stuff. Like, I feel like at least I feel like I'm, hearing that more from my friends that maybe it's an LA thing, but other friends too are doing writing sessions and stuff. And I'm not closed to that, but I think one thing that's valuable for me is to just stay, to not extrapolate too much and to stay in each relationship as unique, you know? So I think, I think, Just to sum it up, I think that if I tried to say, oh, like, actually, the music business is great. And like, it's like you just work with other people and it it goes really well. And you create something that is greater than some of its, some of its parts. And you, my experimental tendencies aren't squashed at all. They're actually mm-hmm. amplified. All that stuff. If I had if I was thinking that I, I'm pretty sure I'd be wrong. So I think it's more about just that I'm really lucky to get to work with Blake, you know, mm. and I, I'll take other risks, but I'm also, 
I'm in a part of my life where I'm also gent trying to be gentle and take a middle path. And I'm excited to keep working alone too. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not, I don't have to choose. I've never really worked on songs. I mean, I've, I've never written a song with somebody else together, but with a lot of my friends in whose bands I play, they bring in their songs and I maybe sometimes say, you know, maybe we could change that chord or let's start here and then move there, you know, stuff like that. But how does it, what's important, what's very important for you guys writing together? What, what kind of virtues are important? And how, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really curious sometimes just to enlarge my question a little bit. Um, some of the songs I feel like I have a feeling whose, whose idea, initial idea this might have been. And other songs I have no idea. And I'm curious, you know, I'm curious how you guys wrote together. I think the, the, the short and uninteresting answer is like there, there's an example of every different ratio and every different kind of um, uh, mixture of input uh, from song to song or even moment to moment within the songs. And the, the more interesting side of that, for me at least, was when we would be contributing something, and I noticed us both doing this, where we would contribute as the other person. In other words, we would try to write something that reminded us, like yeah. there are examples of, of Chris Weissman doing a Blake Mills impression Yeah. Blake Mills doing a Chris Weissman impression in, in within the writing. Yeah. And that was that was kind of a uh, uh that was an interesting game because I I think um ultimately what I experienced on this album was that through collaboration I didn't find that I I had arrived at something that felt less like uh, less like a, a, a personal uh, record. There are times where the record uh, embodies what to me uh, makes Chris such an interesting musician and writer and player. Um, and yet there still feels like there's room on this album to feel like it is, it, it's deeply personal and, and, uh, and, and that I'm present for it, uh, as, as a musician, as a, as a singer, as a player. So that's, that's an interesting discovery, you know, you use the word enlarge and it's like, it redefined the, for me, the idea of how much space there was able to be filled, you know, on an album. It, As a, as a solo artist yeah yeah i think it's it was it was it's sort of psychedelic to try to think about it i think one instinct that i have had already in the press stuff which this is and is not you know it feels like because we both know you and i've spoken to you before is i there's a part of me that is protective, a little protective of 
which I, I normally not like this. I'm normally like hyper, um, just spilling detail right away. But there's a part of me that feels like just saying Blake and I wrote this together, you know, and mm -hmm. not because there's, there's times where it's, and we even are sharing writing credit 50, 50 without yeah. getting it, which is a way I think of cultivating the relationship so that when, when Blake does something that's just so powerful and strong, I'm not going to, I'm not going to like essentially lose writing credit for just letting that happen and stepping away. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, it's this weird ego death thing that can happen when you just are like, we're doing this 50, 50, you know, it's almost like 50, 50 is the only thing that turns into zero and just disappears. Yeah. Or a hundred percent, you know, a hundred percent music. Yes. Yeah. So there's all these interesting times where, uh, yeah, I like I'm making something initially, but I'm picturing Blake so much that it's it doesn't really make sense that it's not really mine. They're they're really I think that 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 and and both of us are really we're we're very different, but I think one similarity between us, at least from where I'm sitting is that we both get really quickly very absorbed in music, almost in a way that feels, um, it's, I think it's unusual. Like when I sit, I've never, Blake is, I've never been outworked by somebody tell Blake, I don't think. I've always been the one that's the most insanely able to keep going. Mm -hmm. The day when I was here a year ago in Sound City, like Blake's drive, his absorption is insane. It's, it's like, uh, it's like the only thing I can compare it to is what I've heard about Prince or something mm -hmm. where it's just, he's still at the computer comping something and basically composing it by how he's Blake is a brilliant at, at comping stuff in a, co a composerly way. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to start listing his talents, but there's all these ones I didn't know about till we were actually in the studio together. Yeah. But I'm also, you know, there's a whole Blake's got a much wider bouquet of, of things that he just can disappear into very quickly and just stay with for as long as it takes. I have that same energy, but it's more limited to the things I do it with. So mm -hmm. like Blake would be, there were times when we were at sound city where Blake would be at the computer working something that I would have already said, Oh, it's good. It's done. You know, yeah. cause that's my thing is this like almost demos mentality. Yeah. And Blake was like a painter who was just still like a painter who would be like painting like in daylight. And then it's like the middle of the night and they're still painting. And they're like, I'm going to try now to integrate like the way that the darkness is reflecting off the lake. You know, it, it's somebody who's, it's like, he would be like, Monet or something like off. And then I would just be back in the studio at, at the piano making a whole new thing. Inspired by that kind of cre creativity. Or just my own, just maniacal, my own maniacal drive. Yeah. Like, and so like there was a tension sometimes, but the tension was interesting. It would be that Blake wanted to keep working on the same piece of music because I, my take is that it's because he loves music so much mm -hmm. and he 
just doesn't want to stop. And then I am like, no, let's do another one. And it's, but it's the same impulse. It's just a different manifestation of it where I'm driven to write another piece. Mm. But it's like both of us are basically like crazy people who are just like in really, really deep. So anyway, I, I don't want to go on, but I, the, the, the point that I was initially starting to make was um, that there wasn't a lot of times we were writing, we weren't really just sitting there writing the whole song. It was like, it would start with one of us getting super absorbed in something and then it would kind of get passed to the other person and then there'd be a part where we're talking about it together it was like we're, we're both i think both of us kept turning to the music like it's almost like you know so in a way we weren't there wasn't a lot of it almost became unselfconscious like we weren't even thinking about like whether we were it was like the music was really what was happening. You know? Yeah. Thank you for checking out the podcast. If you enjoyed these conversations, please join me on patreon.com slash Pablo Held for more educational videos on various musical topics, early access to episodes, lead sheets, online hangouts, listening sessions, music recommendations, band camp discount, and more behind the scenes stuff from the podcast. The generous support of my patrons helps me to pay for the running costs of the podcast and it also helps me to keep it going into the future. Thank you so much and let's get back to the episode. So for a song like Such Like Horses, where did you guys start? Um, with the recording or with the writing? Just like what's the first thing that led to such like horses i think it was the time signature i think it was sort of like something uh something that actually started more from the the feeling of that arpeggio uh, more than anything and uh the melody okay. of that song was Let me jump was, jump in for for a second yeah is for you okay I, i'm gonna say for me the lowest note is the one but you yeah. can also hear it the highest note being the one right because that's where the melody comes in yeah that's where the chord mm -hmm. comes in and that's where the bass comes in yes i had a couple of car rides where i was like one, two, three, <laughs> you know, just yeah. screaming to get my mind in the other direction was like, okay, what were these guys thinking? Because sometimes just because I feel it a certain way, it doesn't mean it has to be that way. And it's a nice game or, or um, uh, a mystique that is, uh, comes through the way you guys did it. How do you guys feel it? I think the one like you, I think. Yeah, the one is the one is the low note, but there's a feel to having the the bass not be on the one. Yeah, you know, it's like it starts to get very slow if you're if you articulate with bottom end one. You know, it just mm -hmm. it just feels like it drags it. So, 
Um, so yeah, having the having the the bass connect to the vocal. It, I say that this, the 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 beginning of the song was like a key signature or an arpeggio, which sounds kind of technical. Everything beyond that, I, I think, is was just purely from a like a taste instinct it was there there was never a conversation um about like let's accentuate the you know the the, the upbeat of three you know yeah like it wasn't it wasn't a, a syncopation experiment yeah it it is a, it's like a uh there was some music that i heard that had that in one section it was like basically something in five I don't even remember what it was now, but it, it was something in five that had six, what is it? Six plus four, right? Mm -hmm. One, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four. And, and then, and then the melody is just the, I think it's the, it's not entirely, but it's what fascinates me about that song is, um, I mean, is that it's this really precise place where something is a not it's the melody is almost not a melody yeah but to me it's fully a melody mm -hmm. which is a really tricky thing where you know i think when i used to when i used to teach which i probably i guess i just taught a class so maybe i'll just say when i'm teaching but it's it's been a minute it's like you know one thing you if you're going to talk to somebody about writing you know it's really, it's really good to talk about having an independent melody, you know, yes. having a melody, you know, weak songwriting is almost always, particularly, you know, with a guitar, it, it's almost always somebody maybe starting with the chords and then the voice gets too, too attached mm -hmm. to, to just like, you know, you start on a note and then you just listen to where the, you just sort of voice lead. Yeah and and it can be like oh that's not really a melody you're kind of, it's more of a singing along with just like the just obvious. the top notes yeah yeah so i've for years been attracted to that danger like i think it's an interesting it's not irony but it's like it's 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 like it's it's interesting to dare because i love really independent uh, melodies like we have for a fez or something mm. it's really free and flowery and and you know closer to like a mccartney-esque sort of freedom i don't think it sounds like paul mccartney but that's who, who i think of as like sort of the ideal of that mm -hmm. like melodic independence yeah. but it's yeah it's right on the line because it's it's always i think it's always in the same spot it's always at the tops of those the six tree and the four tree yeah it's just so it sounds like little you call uh, call them pushes that's what it's you like call highlights it. of the of the thing yeah. a little bit. Mm -hmm. But then it does feel and some of it is just the note that's at the top of the chord, and then I think it becomes independent on the B section. Like it's yeah, still right. in that spot, but there's right. it it cuts loose. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a fine line that what the way that you can it's almost like um trying to tell if uh you know, if something is like a person or AI or something, you're like looking for, you're looking for aliveness in something. 
And like, I think that there's one crucial spot in that melody where if it wasn't there, it might not sound like a melody the whole song, which is that it's at the end of the B section, or maybe it's like, da -de -da -de -da 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 -da. no, no, it's at the end of the A section. It just says, you know, it's doing it every time. Da -de -da -de -da -de it's just da -de -da. one note. Yeah. And once once it does one instead of two, it feels like it's alive. And yeah. you trust it in this other way. Like it's yeah. like, no, no, this is not this is not minimalist tapestry. This is like a melody. And it it's like, and of course the singer can bring that out too. But yeah, but then you also listen differently on the second time around because you're on your toes. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is this is awake. It's not yeah apart my favorite arpeggio is this you know that chord that that car chord. that which one that is is that a b that's the yeah. b um b flat 13 yeah yeah i love yeah. that one yeah that's a crazy the tuning the tuning of that song is it it's like reminds me of um The, one of the like the tuning and don't tell our friends about me it, it's a it, the g is down to f yeah what are you choosing for that, for that song that song is the b is down to b flat and the high e is up to f oh mm. yeah so it's like a guitaristic thing to some extent because it's like let's see if i can tune this these are new tuners on this thing this this guitar is this amazing goya of blake's blake's better at tuning you just we'll just do it this way <laughs> I have a better reach. <laughs> Sorry, um, this guitar is like Blake's beautiful Goya. And when we were shooting the video for There Is No Now in this house, like it fell down somehow. Wow. And like Blake had to get some of the tuners replaced, and it's like they're not as good, but yeah, I feel like I'm I'm about to be dropped into that door behind you guys. Because of yeah. the, I love the video. That's so great, really. Oh right, the song actually such like horses. There's a there's a, a line in the song that's written about oh, the yeah. house about these archways. Yeah, yeah. Mm. the bird. Yeah, we had a bird. We all of the doors and windows were closed. Um, and one morning, I came downstairs, and there were there were like feathers. There were feathers in the like uh, fireplace. And um, and there was a uh, a bird, a dove flying around. We have these these like pigeons that are native to the canyon in Glendale, and um, they're, the, they're the like kind of bat gray doves that squeak when they fly. Mm. And it was in the, it was in the house in the living room. No mm. idea how it, it it could have gotten in here because um, you know the only the only way in would have been the fireplace. But we have this weird chimney that's like angled and stuff it was it was bizarre and we spent the whole morning trying to get this bird out of here safely uh and uh that was like right after we moved in which was during the, the pandemic mm -hmm. yeah. and there's some that's a cool bit of language too in that part of the poetry because there's a um there's a place that i when we were doing the printing the lyrics for the for the LP, um, which I actually, we were doing long distance. That was in January, I think. We were doing that, I think. 
and I was actually had COVID. I had mm -hmm. COVID in Vermont and here in California, we were finishing the stuff and I, I was kind of like type looking at the lyrics and there was a place in the lyric about the bird where I wanted to, it was a bad call, but I wanted to put, you know, sick, like, uh, you know, that thing, S-I, I don't know, it's like Latin or something. It means like, this looks like a mistake, but it's not. Yeah. Um, S-I-C or something. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. With brackets. yeah. With brackets. And I was like, should we put that in the lyrics? And then you were like, no, and it was the right call. But there's a place in the lyric about the bird where it feels like it might be trapped bird. We set free or something. It's um, it's trapped bird. We helped go trapped bird. We helped go. Yeah. And it kind of has so the language is this funniness to it where you kind of feel like maybe there should be an ass trapped birds, mm -hmm. but it was like, so that's cool. Like the true story kind of, kind of pushed the language into a funny place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, this, you know, the, the chords of this are like, it's out of tune, but I don't care if the blade does. <laughs> You'll see, here we go. Um, and then it's like some of the chords are like, normal like this would be an, just an open e chord but because this string is dropped you have to fret it up whole step higher but it's then but then right away it goes to the f sharp here which is not available in standard tuning so you get you know obviously you're a piano player so you don't deal with any of this shit but the the main problem i would say of standard tuning is that it's hard to get things close together mm -hmm. yeah. and that my inverted tuning is a way solves that in a weird way that I don't want to try to talk about technically it has to do with whatever and I have another tuning I've done that's about that same problem but it's nice to get you know tight tighter things together on the yeah. keyboard are so attractive but it can be hard to get on guitar yes. I just get used to like big stretches in the <laughs> yeah. middle yeah, to get them. Well, you can. Yeah, Blake's got a lot more of that than I do. But then, yes, yeah, some of these are. Yeah, that's the G. That's nice. Yeah, that's an all integral tetrachord. Mm. G13. Yeah. G713, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then this is like an Also, old... there, at first, always heard the C sharp in the bottom, like. Yeah, you know this reminds me of John Lennon. Uh, John Lennon learned finger picking from Donovan when they were in India, mm. and um, he taught he taught Donovan taught Lennon and Paul McCartney a very specific finger picking pattern, and right away McCartney just abandoned the specific and started doing his own thing with it. And like, he ended up making like Blackbird and stuff, which is like mm -hmm. kind of finger picking and kind of like weird little fraily mm -hmm. strums. And yeah. Yeah, but Lennon just dogmatically just exactly kept it. So that's what you hear him doing on um, Julia, Julia and Dear Prudence. And what you get yeah. is you get these beautiful places where, because he's not adjusting the finger picking to accommodate like wh where the root of the chord is, the normal thing is to adjust finger picking so that you're hitting the root on the downbeat. But he doesn't do that. He just keeps playing all six strings. So you get these beautiful second inversion, particularly these nice second inversion chords on the downbeat. Yeah. So that this is a case of that, where this picking pattern 
doesn't change at all, and you get these nice, like, you know, the fifth in the bass there, or the one you were talking about. Which the melody also. Go. Oh yeah. Land oh yeah, yeah, it's tight. Yeah. In the in the solo section, if you play 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 the the, the verse figure. Yeah. Oh shit. Is that one of the overdubs? So some of the times we weren't even together for the recording. Was that, is that on the synth or is that? That's on guitar. There might be a synth doubling it, yeah. but it's, it's like the, the recording holds back so much. Um, it's also interesting on the recording that the arpeggio, I feel like, I feel like the arpeggio is actually an octave higher maybe than where we're playing it on the guitars. Oh, right. And that's um, what we're just doing with the live thing. Yeah. Make this. Yeah, it really does frame the melody in a in a different way when the mm. when the melody is Yeah, your within. voice is lower. Yeah. Uh so the on the record, I think it's like one of the first places where like uh an, a sort of analog or, or organic, you know, sound comes into the arrangement of the song. Is that part? Yeah, nice. In the solo section. I mean, there's a piano before that, right? Also. Yes. Which plays the E. Piano, it's organic, but, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm talking Only about the guitar, baby. <laughs> of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a question about the beginning because after a while I notice it's in five. And right now, of course, I know the song is in five and I transcribed it. I know it's in five, but I never hear the intro in five. I have trouble finding the one. It's so blurry in the most beautiful way. So I'm wondering, what's the deal with the intro? I mean, what, what happened there? It's in five. Yeah. It's, it's in five. It's, yeah. Yeah. But it's, I mean, the, 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 the blurriness is intentional. I mean, it's part of the game of, of what's going on there. But, yeah. um, But that is a moment, uh, a duet moment between G. Weller and I kind of playing around with the progression, but starting from, we started it in a place where we were rehearsing it. We were kind of going over the song and practicing this one part and we kept like picking it up from there. And it's not the root of the progression. It it starts it starts on the G. Yeah. Right. right. So that's where we when the song starts there and then moves to that, yeah. you're just sort of like what it's like you're just getting thrown into a yeah. the wash okay. cycle halfway through. <laughs> and then you get a little bit of tonality with the with the A chord. And then it goes right and to it the goes bridge, to, right? You're right to the B section, you know. And it's also a nice way of um, going back and forth between sort of a comping style and a soloing style, like a solistic uh, yeah. solo solo vibe. 
and you you two I mean, seem to the, move in and out of that like yeah so you still somebody is sort of supplying a bit of the harmony it's not two soloists all yeah. the time but but it, but it is it's yeah. a little almost like a version of bebop or something where you're both mm-hmm. both like weaving you're playing changes like you're yeah. both like weaving chords and and like dancing around chord tones yeah yeah but it is like it, it was literally you guys were actually recording it over part of the song and then you lifted it up and moved it over to the front right no that's an intro that's 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 the two of us sitting there playing uh don't over I think we had a click i'm trying to remember if we had a click or not so it's got this like light rubato edge yeah 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 i don't think we were playing to a click yeah, that that intro wasn't there. That session didn't happen until I, until it was like after I left. Yes, yeah. it was done in the free, and then it was put, it was it was put onto the front of what we had recorded. Yeah, yeah. yeah was there what... supposed to be more, or just the intro? You just had an idea for the intro, and then that was it. We did some passes where we were kind of just playing over um, over the tune, but. I think maybe maybe I kept some of that. Uh, it's tucked in there, like it, it's when it's it's following the arpeggio a little more verbatim. So it's just kind of a texture with the arpeggio. But but no, I mean it was it was just trying to kind of hang on for for dear life that day. Yeah, let's <laughs> see what happens. Yeah, I love it. Also, a great way to um, to open the record. Mm. The uh, somebody asked me recently about the cover art and the significance of the cowboy, and um, and I just said, you know, I, I like that comes to mind is like, in particular when we were working on such like horses, you and I both kept referring back to this. Um, it, like an invented memory uh, of like a desert night sky with stars and like yeah. a bonfire and just this kind of um, almost cartoonish yeah. version of um, of being out west. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nice. Which is like, yeah, probably has somewhat to do with you know, the, the way that I'm relating to California is going to be very different than somebody who grew up here. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always, I mean, everything's like that. Reality is like that, where there's this tension between this unknowable actual reality and these, this sort of layer of stories that's over the top of it. Yeah. And it's, I know I, even like my relationship with Vermont is like definitely cartoonish on some level. It's like you can never really get all the way down to the real. It's like, it's like, why do I love Vermont and why am I like dismissive of New Hampshire, mm-hmm. where I'm from? It's like, well, there are syrup. Because <laughs> it's because maple syrup, bro. No, it's like there there's like um there are reasons, but a lot of them are kind of in the realm of culture, which is kind of the realm of fantasy or something. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I think I'm starting to get caught up in my own throw rope. I love that the album starts in five and stays in five for the for the second song. Great. 
I think and, that we made, I think that, I think that those songs ceased to be in five for us, which is to say, I think we stopped thinking about it. They're just like, it's like, you know, it'd be like if somebody had a per, a, fr a friend of yours is like, walks with a cane or something. It's like, you stop. It's just a mm -hmm. part of them. It's like, and, and, um, I think when we sequenced the record, it, we didn't, that wasn't conscious. And I no. remember, thinking, I hope if Blake, I hope if Blake thinks of this, cause I, I know I thought of it, but it wasn't right away. I hope it doesn't sometimes like, you have to like break up the six, eight. Yeah. Yeah. Some people, sometimes yeah. I'm, I'm sequencing another album with another friend right now. And yesterday there was an issue where we kind of realized two of the songs back to back were in the same key and kind of had the same chords on the B section and stuff. And I was like, Oh, come on, let's just leave it like that. It's cool. Yeah. It's like cool when things that close together, they rhyme tightly, you know? Well, mm -hmm. Unsingable and Wendy Melvin are totally to me like uh, brothers or sisters or like they be belong together. Like one is finished and it's inevitable that the other comes you know that was conscious yeah yeah that was that was kind of a purposeful um and i don't remember why i don't know my memory is that there was a point at which i went out while something else was happening i went out into the studio and i wrote a little something that was meant to be that and it wasn't wendy melbourne it wasn't that song it was like some other thing and you came in And then you were like, what about this? What about this? And we changed it a little bit. Mm -hmm. it, it, and it, it, so the idea of something instrumental that came out of oh. it started there. Oh, like you were, yeah, you, you, I do remember that. You had suggested having like the unsingable continue, go to another place. Yeah. And then, oh, right. And then it was just like, well, what if we just have Wendy Melvoin come out of? Yeah. Something? And then that song, I, I don't think was written necessarily with that idea but mm -mm. but then why is it, it, it but then we but then we did make sure the tempos were the same because i think we realized it could be wrong and also the yeah. percussion the the conga uh stays stays um from one song to the other i think like the, the pattern is similar setup. same setup yeah oh was did abe play you, yeah. you tracked it that way abe, yeah it, we we did them the same day and that performance from abe on lindy melbourne i think is one take him sight reading the chart. Oh yeah, he's looking at a chart. Yeah. So so, so there was like a direction of like, you know, pr pretend pretend this is the same song, you know, what we'll kind of start from the same place we we just left off and right. uh, it yeah, it was phenomenal. A a I met on those sessions and uh, he's an unbelievable guy and he's an unbelievable uh drummer. It was so wild i mean i was kind of like already in shock being in this like totally alien environment to me of like being in this incredibly famous studio with all these just totally incredible musicians and i'd never you know even really been to a recording session a real recording session before not mm -hmm. so the, the, all the cultural stuff was like new to me and um it was just incredible like abe just There were a couple times where he just sat and he listened to the whole song as it was so far. Because I think on Jelly Road too, 
he wasn't there for the initial track and he was playing drums along with it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Man, that's, that's one of my absolute favorite performances on that album. The way he plays drums on, on it's Jenny insane. Road. I, I mean, come on. That's, that's that incredible. Specifically was the first thing he played. He came in. We had some mutual friends. I met him, you know, and he sat and he silently listened to the entire song. And then he went out into the room and he played that. That's one take. But let me let me ask you, like, is the stop and go thing, the in and out, is that what he played? Or did you also sometimes take him down a little bit and then raise him up? Because that's also what kind of appeals to me maybe the most. Like he's playing incredible stuff, but I love that he's not playing all the time. He's leaving pauses in an thing that is so dramatic and energetic and i think 99.9 percent .9 of the drummers would have because it feels so great they would have kept on playing 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 filling it up but the thing of stop he, and go he stopped he was um yeah i mean his entrance uh <laughs> yeah that might That might have been the only thing that's flown from the end. I think it's that it's it's almost like a palindrome, like it's his last his last gesture, um, and uh, so that at the entrance, I think is maybe not in the performance. But then he comes in in the chorus and he stops. I, I mean, I, Yeah, I don't remember ever hearing him do anything in the verses. He did one more take after that. We kind of did that thing of like, well, that was incredible. You know, let's let's go again. You know? Let's have one for safety, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's just like it's like you know, when the roller coaster rides over, you're like again, again. Yes. Um, but I think that first take is is it as it is on Skeleton is Walking, right? Too. I mean, mm -hmm. kind of. He came in and played to things that were already there. We didn't track anything with Abe. And I think what that does for him is like he's playing on some of those. He's playing a beat, especially on Skeleton, but he's always referring. And I don't think Skeleton is to a click. I could be wrong, but I believe we weren't, we weren't, we weren't listening. Yeah. So, so he's playing, but he's always referring back to seeing if uh, – if he's still in time, you know, like it, cause we're not, nothing in the track is going to follow him if he's moving, but he's moving. So there's this push pull thing where like, especially on jelly road, like those spaces might have a lot to do with the fact that, that there's this, um, you know, you're, it's, it's like, it's like a, a, a mama duck waiting for her chicks to catch yeah. up or something. Gotta, he's got a whole, off for a second to just make sure oh, you know, great. that it sounds like when you listen to it, you hear something different. You hear, you know, this really interesting personality. Conversational. And, it sounds to me like and, reacting, listening, thinking yeah. about, and then doing it. And, you know, Blake and Abe have a deep collaborative thing going already a lot. I mean, it's amazing to watch Blake with, Gendel, Sam Gendel, these different people in the studio, because you guys, and with Joseph Lorge too, engineering the whole thing, 
a lot of it's nonverbal. It's like you guys are really tuned in. It's there's not a lot of talking. It's like, which is kind of where I was kind of almost like comic relief, like the one who's like talking at the wrong times, and like eventually, like a little bit learning not to do that, you know, <laughs> but but almost like not, you know, and um, but there's there's the thing that really got me not just it wasn't just that a um did it in one take it was also like the artistic confidence to like walk back into the room just no ego but like confident like he was just like he was like you were like that was cool like and he was like yeah yeah cool like he was like done. <laughs> he was done he was done and he knew that all the parts were the tempo was pushing and pulling and he was paused and all that shit. He knew that shit was hot, mm -hmm. but he didn't, you know, he wasn't acting like it. It was just, it was very understated, but I was like paying attention because I wasn't working really. I was just there. And um, I was just getting to observe like, ex like extremely high level artistic collaboration, like, it, it it was really a it was a I learned a shitload watching everybody in those environments Blake and everybody and how they interacted and it was and how much shit just like was an understanding between these incredible musicians that are ba are, are basically incredible risk takers mm -hmm. like a bunch of like just motherfuckers who are just like taking these incredible risks, but they don't even have to say they're doing that. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think I, we have ever talked about the push and the pull in the drums, like until like two weeks ago or something, you know, mm. not verbally. I mean, I just feel like it was like a given that it was like really good, you know? Mm -hmm. You kind of, when we were talking about the sequencing and not having two songs in six, eight and stuff like that, I think the idea that, two songs in six, eight will clash or two songs in five will feel like redundant or too strong. Um, that, that the, the idea that there's a rule about that or that drums wavering will result in X is, is like why people talk too much about things like sequencing and tempo and click and it's, it, it, you really do have to listen to it at, and, and just take it at face value and experience it. And if right. it's, if it feels really good, you'll know it feels really good. And if part of that is because it's moving, um, you'll know that it, that's part of it. And it could also feel really good because it's fucking locked, you know, it's right. not yeah. like, there's no rules. Yeah. No. Yeah. There's no, there's no goal other than to try to arrive at that thing that, that just has a magical quality of working. And you're able to do that. Uh, this is me observing you. You're able to do that more of the time because you don't usually have to articulate it. Like even forming it into words is like not usually necessary. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that helps that whole pro it keeps that whole thing malleable. It, it's like, because even once you are, once you start articulating it in language, then it's like, and our goal is to have no rules, but then that's a rule. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, it's like, no, just like, 
it reminded me, Pablo, it reminded me of hearing about actual jazz music, you know, back in the day where you hear it valued that, no, we never talked about music. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And I, I wouldn't say that that was true. And I have no idea. Oh, thank you, Blake. Mm -hmm. I have no idea if if what we're doing is jazz, if these people are jazz musicians or if they're not, and it doesn't matter. That's another thing that doesn't matter. Yeah. Just like it didn't matter to Miles Davis. But like, I definitely got to witness like a, a community of musicians, one of the most exciting communities of musicians in the world right now from where I'm sitting. And I'm just, I'm honored to just even be allowed to be there. Mm -hmm. And I got to see what, how, how that culture works and um, how it feels to be in the room for that stuff. And yeah, it's, it's, there's a, it's a lot of it's, there's a lot going on, but a lot of it's not verbal and a lot of it's very, very fast until, until it's like, no, this is going to take three hours. <laughs> yeah. Well, to that, two things. One, that, that community, um, was, it was, what was cool was before Chris came to LA, everybody in that community knew that Chris Weisman was coming to LA. So there was, <laughs> there's a shared awareness. There's like an East coast, West coast, uh, <laughs> you know, respect going on. And, and I think a lot of the, the people that came in like Sam and, and, and Abe, um, who were aware of Chris were really excited to, to meet you, although you had, you'd been in touch with Sam, but work yeah. with you in this context. And, and, uh, and that was really cool. I, I was watching that happen mm. as well and not trying to like do the, not, not trying to make it obvious, you know, not trying to, to, um, parent to right. the, the, the situation, needlessly it was just like um it was uh that was a really special month for los angeles's you oh, know uh for 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 the for our, our pseudo jazz <laughs> scene here can you describe uh, that chemistry from your perspective well the the chemistry between chris and those musicians yeah i think i think there was there was an eagerness from Chris. There was like a childlike excitement that Chris was actively working on trying to um, maintain composure <laughs> in certain, certain settings. And I, and, I, and I knew he was doing it and I was so proud of him. Oh. And, um, and I think... I think in L, like on the other side of it, like in LA, there's an exposure to that people have to, to um, some of like the our heroes, you know, they're kind of like this kind of they walk among us sort of thing, uh, tends to have an influence on people's personalities here where when they're in the room with the with their heroes, which can happen if you're lucky and and guys like Abe and Sam um have have that um that mentality I think from from living here and and, and working uh 
but there's still a version of on some level you're performing uh a a, a coolness a chillness that your spirit might not be fully agreeing with you know your your excitement might still be that's in there that's in age playing you know that we're, all the stuff we're talking about um I've never worked with Abe on a on a session where he sounded anything like what he played when he came in for Jelly Road. So it, it's it's happening uh, beneath the surface, I think, uh, on both sides. Mm-hmm. And for me as well, you know, I I, I was when, when you're referring to all that time spent, you know, while you're in, in the live room and, and I'm in the control room working on something. I remember a lot of that was because Chris is so fast and had, and here's so many things. Um, and he is also here from out of town. So there's, there's like this sense of let's capture everything we can while we can that I started to wonder, okay, well, at what point will I, be able to spend time with this so that I can feel like I'm aware of what's me on here. Mm-hmm. You know, even in the writing, the collaborative nature of the writing for a solo album was new for me to this degree. So I was thinking, and maybe a little worried at times, like, am I making a Chris Weissman song right now? Because all I have are like these five things that Chris just heard and thought of and, and, you know, it was like, let's try this. And, uh, and so there may have been some arranging of things and in the arranging of it, I would go, well, that's my, that's my, um, participation here for mm-hmm. this moment. And, uh, and I, I think that was probably something that at the time at that stage in the record, that was the that was the best that I could do to keep up with with your output. Your creative output was like um, almost more of a uh, a curator of of different ideas. And then it it, it evolved, and then I got to spend time with it after you left town. It, yeah. it was like that was when um, I think some things were a little clearer for me. But I I, I appreciate you what you said about you know, work ethic and, and trying to keep up. But I, I think it, it goes both ways. Like you're, um, you, you're, you're so prolific, not only with your output, your recorded output, but it's representative of like how many different ways your brain is working at one time mm. on like multiple songs. It's like, Dr. Octagon. <laughs> yeah, I was the the place where the the place where I mean Blake and I are much closer now and part of that anytime you get close to somebody it means you've gone through actual tension with that person, you know? And we ha- the first time I think we snapped into that level of intimacy was when um I had switched. First of all, there was other there was other context, which is that you had gotten a call because Blake actually got married during the same time. 
So Blake was had a wedding that was about to happen while we were doing this. And I didn't even know that was going to happen until I was here. I was like, you're getting married during this? Which is another <laughs> testament to Blake's ability to, to actually be an, an insane multitasker because the wedding got attention. It was unbelievable. I don't, I hadn't been to a wedding in so many years. Actually, I wasn't even supposed to be at the wedding and I ended up playing, uh, What's that instrument? The the celeste or the celeste, whatever. Oh. That, Blake and Gabby were walking down the stairs, like right around the corner here. What did you play? I, we Blake and I actually. It was funny. We collaborated very heavily on that too. <laughs> I wrote something, and then Blake had all these incredibly subtle. One thing that happens to me with Blake is I write something, and then he's he's like, it's like the detail his level of detail he'll be like that note cut that note short while this note's going can you hold this note it's like it's mm. literally like so detailed and the ideas are always like fucking incredible like they're really subtle but they always also are like something i physically can't do it's like because it, it was a keyboard and it was like he just had these little notes that like made this thing something And then I was just, I can't, I was too terrified to play it mm. because I knew, because my keyboard playing is just really not, I can't lean on it if I'm nervous. Like it was, but it, it was too, if it was one hand maybe, but it was. And so we ended up being like, well, I'll just, I'm going to improvise. Like, but then we decided on a key and a scale and, um, We actually ended up, I ended up just improvising on um, F sharp major with no seventh, which was so. And, new and major? Was, say again? New major? Isn't it new major? Well, it would be new major if like that was happening over C or something. Yeah, right. But, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's, yeah. That's my jam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, it was, uh, it was actually better because. I think that the mo what the moment demanded, and this is what the moment demanded was not um, this guest who's new new to the community to take up space with a clever little composition that might not be precisely right, and that could actually be a complete train wreck for real. Like that's not false modesty. Like I probably would have like really not played it right. But what I was able to do is instead pay a, emotional attention to Blake and Gabby and just feel the room and just, and just perfectly delicately just, it was much easier to improvise something because I was just basically just like a, an antenna that was vibrating to the room. Hmm. And I don't, I, I, Blake was, it was, in, I was so moved being it at the wedding it's like i remember blake shooting me a look and i was like oh my god it was like the emotion in your eyes like like it was like it was fucking intense it was so cool mm. but it was really it was just a very brief moment you know of music but that was the only music we had at the wedding yeah wow. it was incredible and there was this incredible Great. chef it was small it was in, in the yard it was amazing 
And I sat next to Sam Gendel and Marcella. It was a beautiful, beautiful. It's funny movie. I didn't I didn't get the invite. I'm I'm. <laughs> it's <laughs> probably still in the mail. It's, it's, still, it's a long trip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it was very small, and and um and I I knew you would be coming. I knew you were there. I just uh I was I was definitely parsing information so as not mm. to overwhelm you. Right, right. <laughs> like, uh and and myself probably you know right. knowing that i wouldn't be able to answer a lot of questions because it was <laughs> it was loose but um but also very tight so <laughs> you have this incredible experience at the wedding so personally i mean to share i've i married uh my wife um like was it like 12 years ago 11 years ago, and I st it's still such a powerful memory of that. To and the, I remember the the people very specifically that I shared this moment with. You know, you never forget it. Um, so, if that's incredible that this happened within the process of recording this album, what was the next day in studio like? Well. It was actually at the end. It was almost perfectly at the end. Ah, okay. In a way, it was Blake radically welcome, welcoming me into his world artistically. And then, like I said, there were points where it was like I was overwhelming Blake because I was just taking up too much space, which is like the other side of like this compliment that I'm prolific or whatever, is that it's all and it's something I work on, you know, is leaving space, you know, it's not like, let's exchange notes, man. I'm also, I'm working on it. Nice. Oh, you're <laughs> a fucking master at that. Come on. Oh, you're come like on. the greatest interviewer in the world because you, you actually just like, there are these parts of the interview where it's just like silent for a second. It's like, so yeah, I don't think you have a problem with it. Well, <laughs> you don't want to feel like me in those moments though. Okay. You know, with within me, I'm a mess in that moment because oh. silence on the internet is like ten times as long yeah. as in real life. You know. Well, silent, but silence on the internet is also like gold, liquid gold. You know, if you can, it's so incredible how much our attention has changed, and anytime you can eke out a little space, yeah. But, you know, it's like as a as a kind of person with a personality that's always, you know, I'm an older brother and I'm just excitable. And, you know, I'm, it's like I, it's it's interesting to be a person, isn't it? Like, to you know, you have these attributes. And you, you, you it's not that doesn't just make them just awareness of attributes doesn't make them go away or knowing that you're annoying somebody doesn't mean that you instantly have solved the problem you know so so it was it, anyway the wedding was was powerful because Blake had already like I mean he'd taken a risk with me in a lot of ways like I mean that's one thing I've seen you do with other people too is you're not afraid like you're you're it's like your success which I, I mean, I don't want to focus on that because it would be uncomfortable for you to talk about it, but you are successful and it hasn't 
made you, and this is like really the mind blowing thing for me, I think, as somebody who's sort of in a Gen X-y way, kind of self-sabotaged or stayed out of certain situations so that I could stay supposedly pure or whatever, so that I could stay free and experimental. You are a problem for me <laughs> because you um, are complicating that mm-hmm. in a way that's really cool that to see somebody who, who's uh, taking crazy risks, it's like you would, your, your success isn't making you more afraid. You don't seem to be grasping it or trying to stay. It's a, it's again, like jazz, it's almost jazz in some way. It's a, like, it's when you look at it, it's like a Wayne Shorter or something. It's like those Wayne Shorter was successful, but his mastery wasn't extended into that he could have rewards, but it wouldn't fuck him up. It would like, he would still be free. It's a um, uncomfortable comparison because he's, he's such a, uh, an inspiration to all of us, but Blake has some of that too, of um, the more, um, the higher up he gets into the clouds, the more he's like flop, you know, reaching around the next bend to fly up around the next cloud, you know? And so I, 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 and even though I'm me, I know what it must be like to be like, I'm going to make a record with this guy, you know, I, 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 and, and then we did this whole album and then it's like, I'm at your wedding. Like we're actually, it's like, it, it was pretty, you know, you were, it was a level of, in, in being invited into something that was pretty profound. So it was actually a very beautiful um, sort of bow on the top of that trip. And then we were just on a tour um, where I got to know Blake's wife, Gabby, a lot better. And I'm just stunned by this person. She's so cool. She's, she, I'm not, I can't paint a portrait of her, but I feel like I know Gabby a lot better now which means I know Blake a lot better now. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's really special stuff. These relationships are very uh, moving to me and like really, um, really special. Yeah. Like once another person comes into a scene, you get a different perspective on that person, but also on your scene. I think that's what Blake also said, you know, in terms of seeing your friends with Chris and seeing how they admire what he's doing. Yeah. I think that the idea that, that you're a risk to, to anybody that you would be in proximity to is, is, uh, is a self image thing that, that everybody here would, would have a difficult time wrapping their head around it. I, in, in, in terms of even the, 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 um, the, um reductive idea of like pop culture music pop culture uh you know and what's allowed and what's not allowed um in that framework i i think somebody like you chris is sort of a, a pure asset you know like the silence in the on the internet <laughs> it's it's a very uh special thing that you can do that 
uh, I've I've now seen in in a few different formats. Like we made our record, and I think our record we probably celebrated the most freedom we could imagine. Mm. But even in the context where we're writing for uh, an Amazon TV show or somebody like you know Marcus Mumford or or an artist like Nuria Graham or you know anybody, it's it's like across the gamut. I think there's a power in knowing what we're what the things that we're able to do that other people can't or won't mm. allow themselves to do. That's um special that's like a that's one of my favorite things about you is your fearlessness and thank you seeing you do that uh in the con outside of your own music is like one of my mm. it, one of my greatest <laughs> joys <laughs> of being around you it's like when we play these shows improvising chord changes to this music and mm. you know just that's uh there's a bravery in that that I've not allowed myself not I'm not sure that I'm capable of doing that kind of thing but I've certainly not allowed myself to be in situations maybe this is getting back into jazz territory but like be in situations where I'm performing and I don't know all of a sudden I I I don't know what's going on that's that's okay like that's not an unfamiliar idea if you're sitting in with somebody or you're improvising or like you don't rehearse with a band but it's very unfamiliar in the context of you playing your own song (laughs) (laughs) or something you're singing on you know so there's a real like absence of safety net thing that um I feel like you have a familiarity in creatively Mm. and maybe I have a familiarity in, in like other ways, you know, uh, and we, we, we connect on that level somehow. I thought it was you up there that was doing all the crazy stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to keep up. I I, I don't think so. I think what happened is you you start playing you start playing a song in the key that you actually hear it in yeah. and improvising in that yeah. key. Oh. And then I'm, and I'm, and I'm going, Oh, <laughs> 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 could we have this thing on skeleton is walking uh, where we, we still hear the song in um, a, a fourth apart. Like I, I hear the song in B yeah. flat and there's an E flat. And so when we, yeah, were, we have to talk about this issue though. Yeah, we, we can. <laughs> when we were, we have to get into it. Tour at some point. Uh, at some point, Chris, during the solo, uh, if the song. By the way, Blake is currently playing with a capo that is not on the guitar because he's just playing the whole song. He's just barring the whole fret and playing the whole song with his remaining fingers. I'm watching him, like, instead of getting a capo do this, and it's, it's, um, it's not <laughs> a mind, it's actually, it's, Show your hand. it's not, well, he, it's, 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 it looks it's, normal. It, 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 
but but the but Chris would do Chris would go um, uh, like uh, and then like uh, I mean all of a sudden we're in fucking E flat and I'm still playing. You know, like it's a, it's just I would get pulled into his his world because I'd look over and he's just like, and, yeah. you know, like uh, what's the piano player from uh, Peanuts, Charlie Brown? Oh yeah, I don't know his name. Mm-hmm. You gotta know his name, Pablo. That's I don't know your no. your, your, your boy. Um, so uh, so Chris would be playing and. And then we would get to like a turnaround and all of a sudden like zap back to B flat for a second. And then, and then we'd be in E flat. So it was just like, it was just, I felt like I was just attached to this, this, um, you know, this vehicle that was going off in its own direction and trying to hang on. And it was so thrilling. And, and, and just telling myself that I was comfortable with that, even though I was not. Like I was not physically or even like creatively fully comfortable with it, but I'm just saying like, all right, you know, if Chris is going to do it, I'm just going to follow him, you know, and made me feel like, um, it, I just, it made me feel like I kind of like touched that for a second, you know, briefly. It was really cool. My perception of that, as you could probably guess is radically different. Mm-hmm. I I know that I was accompanying someone and I was um that I was kind of crossing a line like that that was happening where I was letting something take over that it, it's the problem of the comper who's acting like they're the soloist you know that convention you know and I I knew that was happening but none of the stuff that was going on in your head was I was aware of because I was basically hearing like the greatest guitar solo I'd ever heard. Like <laughs> you're completely and totally on fire. Because I was playing in B flat. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounded all it, everything was was heightened. <laughs> no, it was pretty good to say. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, the the shows thing was fun. We I think I think we I think what happened is we we prepared we rehearsed a lot. This was actually at the beginning. I'm, I've been in LA for, this is the sixth week I've been here. I'm going home on Sunday, finally. And um, it's been an amazing trip. You know, I was on tour for part of it, but the beginning we were rehearsing and we did, we rehearsed everything. Like we, we, we knew what we were doing and it was sometimes pretty detailed, like, you know, like exact voicings, how the two voicings were going to, and everything, you know, and then we we were uh, you know when we were up on stage something else happened a lot of times and not for every song it wasn't a rule we weren't like melting everything down or anything but there were some parts that straight up did melt down in mm-hmm. in an interesting way and my perception of it was that I thought it would be I I would look over at you and I would. I could feel that we were like effectively, I think it just like, it was, 
it felt like um, psychic, you know, where like I knew that we would both, we both just felt a cadence in a certain spot, even though we were cutting off the end. Mm. There we'd end like and leave off. We did it with lyrics too. We ended Breakthrough Moon with like, it only happened once. Oh, we went back. We're like, hey. Oh, yeah. 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 And we would like all these subtle things like that where we were just right in the same place, you know? Hmm. So I think it's a a third thing where we're both tuned in because it wasn't me directing that and it wasn't you directing that. Although I think perceptually it feels more like the other person that's doing it. But I don't think it is the other person. I think it's both of you are feeling, I think something else is happening. But like a lot of those risk things that happened where something was different the next night, mm-hmm. like different, a lot of differences happened. And I, my perception is that they were coming from you. But I, I and some of them might have been, but I think I'm guessing that sometimes you thought they were coming from me. Hmm. Well, I think we were learn. I think we were learning each other's tastes uh, on the tour in a way that we um, didn't have as much of a chance to do making the record. Right. Um, for for obvious reasons, actually, it, made, it makes total sense. But I think in in performance, in in repeated performance, we were getting a much clearer idea of. Um, of each other as guitarists, right? You know, but primarily, and then also like what what a good show would would be and feel like, right? Like you were pushing in rehearsal for like let's play all the songs. Like there's this band, The Grateful Dead. They would <laughs> they would play for hours, and so we were, and and my thought was like, I've never played more than maybe. 60 minutes or something of my own music and that's more than i you know usually care to hear so i'm i i was trying to shorten chris was like let's just play it all we played the first night and we played for like three hours (laughs) and the the crowd were really good sports about it but i think we both came uh, chris it was amazing the next day that was too long and it was like (laughs) Music to my ears hearing you say that. I actually didn't, so I didn't know it was too long, but Joseph told me it was too long. And you trust, you trust. Well, him. I trust, yeah, I trust Joseph more than I trust you. Yeah. Can yeah, I ask I you, know. how do you do a set list for three hours? Do you do a set list or do you just call the tunes? Yeah. yeah. Like a master set list that had a couple of toddlers mm-hmm. where we would pick between two tunes. The set, once we got, we, we did what? We're going to do one more show in New York. Mm-hmm. which will be this probably working with the similar set, but we yeah. did, but this one set that was two, it was two sets. We did two sets. There wasn't an opener yeah. for the break and no encore. And the first night was too long and it was probably too long because we we're just getting used to it. Mm-hmm. But it was also, by the way, I do trust you as much as I trust Joseph. That was just a joke. I, I, I kind of like, I think I trust Joseph more than I trust me. So I'm happy with <laughs> You know what? You know what it is is that Joseph is so gentle, and often isn't giving any notes. You know, he's really yeah. You have to really. And if he says to you, "That was too long," it's a little frightening. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Joseph. Joseph is uh, the engineer. Yeah. Yeah. 
for those of you who are not familiar, Joseph Lord, Joseph Lord, best in the yeah. business. Incredible guy, amazing, incredible person. Yeah, and you guys have been together for ten years or something. Longer than that. Yeah, yeah. There, it's crazy to watch those guys work. It's like, it's very perverse. They're making like micro decisions about like, I don't, I don't follow any of it. Like, it's all like you're, you guys are like super tasters. It's like the most detailed shit with gear and decisions, and you make them. I'll see you guys make a decision together without talking and then try some crazy thing. It's really amazing. Mm -hmm. It's, I don't know how you have space for that. It's probably just, it's all music to you, but there was something with the set. Oh yeah, they were, they were long, but we tightened it up and uh, just, we actually didn't tighten it. It was kind of, we didn't tighten it up that much. It got, they got loose again in LA. And I think the feeling of, um, indulgence may have come back, which is okay. But but I, it, yeah. it, it made me realize that what we got it to was probably like that. Yeah, that where it's really zinging in a in a nice way at the end of the night. Still, like it just feels like right. Whoa, what was that? We were pushing our luck, and and also it's it's hard. Like you know, like the other day I was listening with my friend Kyle. We wrote some songs together at the end of this trip, like I don't fly much. So I bundled this other session with my friend, Kyle, we wanted to write some songs together. So I stayed an extra week and a half and that got extended. But anyway, we're listening back to the, to the record in the car last night that we, that we recorded and, um, or what might be the record, you know, if it's my, if I have my way, it's the record. And if we'll see what happens, you know, it's Kyle's out. So he, he, he might want to change some things, but I'm kind of like, that's it. But, um, you know, we're listening back and I felt one of the songs felt long and I was like, Oh God, I hope Kyle doesn't fucking get upset about this. Like, uh, we'll just keep it, just keep it. And the thing is, is that I don't even trust my own sense of space or time because I feel, even though I'm not even on social social media, you know, I feel the internet messing up my basically dopamine, you know, where if I'm listening to a song and I feel like a little agitation, like maybe I'm not patient. I don't want to then be like the song should be shorter because if we all just do that, we're all going to be clipping everything down. It's already happening. I think it's happening like crazy. It's like, but then, but then you can't go the other way too hard either. Like, you know, well, I think if your if your attention is is um, is is waning, I think it could be. It's not just like we'll just make it shorter. It's like if something's not tasting good, you don't just eat less of it. You know, you're trying to figure out what what does it need? Why yeah. is it not holding your attention? Right. You know? um, but but yeah, the the shortening thing is really uh frustrating after you've made the record and and you start getting into conversations with people who are like we love this and now we want a shorter version of it because people will never pay enough attention yeah intro is too long blah blah yeah too long the song's too long skeleton is walking was one where we you know we were i knew that there was going to be a conversation about a radio edit for that song and um and I started thinking about like I'm sure the solo can be can be trimmed and and uh, as soon as I started trying to do it, it was like no. It's, it's a- who gets in touch with you asking about that stuff? 
I mean, I think it could be like radio promotion. You know, it could be somebody at the label communicating with who's servicing a record to radio. It could be a conversation you have with a, a, a manager or a friend. I mean, it, from record to record, I'm sure. I'm sure there's. This isn't a coincidence, but it's not something I've um, purposefully tried to do. But on every album that I've made uh as a, as a solo artist the songs that are most accessible also have some kind of like some aspect that makes them impossible you know like whether it's don't tell your friends about me with profanity or um uh i mean it's, it's usually profanity or guitar solo <laughs> which, which is great which is the I, same and in a way. Yeah, more or less. <laughs> fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and so, so like, to ch- it's not just like there's like one little, oh, I say fucking here, and then we can just like bleep that and get it out, you know? And it's not in the same way that it's not like, um, uh, personally, I don't feel like I'll, I'll put a guitar solo on a record unless I, I'm like, get yeah, that needs to be there. Right. You know, like it's not like you were just on skeletons to my ears. It's not like you're just soloing for a certain amount of time. It's like they're it's like actually all the all the most important melodies of the song are in the solo mm-hmm. and they, they develop the way they develop and the way they're timed is I mean, that's how all solos should be. Right. They should be like it's not like something happening for sort of like your food thing. It's like, it's not something that's just happening for a random amount of time. It's like, if it's, if it's really happening, then it's, it's music. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just like in Amadeus or whatever, where they're asking him to take notes out, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's a pretentious uh, comparison, but maybe not. I think the, I mean, (laughs) it was down the, 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 the solo on that song is beautiful. Like there are things that happen in it that I that are not because of me that are really beautiful. Like the way that certain things line up with the drums mm. and what Abe is playing, which you know I refuse to remove. And the the fact that the line, the 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 backing track, there's that that Venova line, and it's a two part melody, mm. and it takes two cycles of the progression. Mm. So you can't just remove one right. cycle of the progression. Like there, it became immediately clear that an edit couldn't be made to like change the solo so the only edits were to like truncate the yeah the intro or the outro which i was fine with but you only you only gain like you lose 15 seconds or something 30 seconds and it's like people and also in a solo the things that you play at the beginning and at the end in a good solo if you take something out, it will lessen the effect of what you've played afterwards and before. Yeah. Yeah. There music is just, there is no, it's probably all art, but in music, it's very pronounced. It's like everything is relational. Everything is relational. There is no, you can't take the chocolate chips out of the cookie. It's like one thing. Yeah. My it's teacher said it to, to me once. Uh, when he he uh, played on a record with somebody and he messed up a certain chord or he played something that didn't feel like it was really good in that moment. And then 
he wanted to take it out and his colleague said yeah but the thing that you play afterwards won't make any sense because you played this to make that right again what you just you know what just happened i missed i i oh, i spoke over you when you said who that was pablo who was it i didn't it was my teacher john taylor he passed away oh, yeah. he's a british um, jazz pianist an incredible guy and he was yeah. always like all in so there there will there was also always some portion of mess going on but beautiful kind of mess so yeah i relate to that, I relate to that philosophy like a probably to a fault of like, <laughs> like well i wrote this song the day before i wrote this other song so they both have to be on the record and they have to be in that order mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> which is you know which makes for a different kind of album than jelly road you know mm -hmm. Like I get to, I get to make these albums on my own that are very, very expressive of that philosophy. And then I get to make this album with Blake that gets to be all these other things too, that are, that are also totally gains, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I definitely, yeah, I'm definitely, I've been saying, I, I feel like it'd be nice to say this on the record, but because I've been saying it to friends, but it's probably obvious anyway, but I am so proud of this album. Like I, I, it is one of the greatest artworks I've ever been a part of. It's, mm. I'm so happy. I love it. I love it. I know that's not, could sound egotistical because I'm part of it, but I just, I just, it's like actually love that I have. It's just like, I'm like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel it. Too. I feel it too. There's a there's an ease, like a lack of pretension and anxiety, and all this. These are the things that I deal with when I'm making solo records, and it's not a part of this album at all. Like all the confidence um, I can imagine having in uh, going through this process is there and i think part of it is because yes i'm I'm proud of the album too but it's also like i don't think i don't think everybody's gonna get it and i don't care and i, mm -hmm. I feel like the 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 validation the validation is coming from within the record yes yeah the music is the thing yeah, yeah. it does it does to you what you need done yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, for us anyway, right? It's gonna go mm -hmm. on the sticker. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, <no. laughs> bad. When I, I mean, first found out, so go ahead. Take a piss. Can we just make a little quick? Sure. Yeah. Comment? Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, take a sip. Have you been working on music, Pablo? Uh, yeah, I'm, I have a couple of records that I'm. Uh, I'm about to release a new trio album in the fall right? Uh, with original compositions, but I, we also did a live album playing standards. Oh, wow. And I'm going to record something else in the winter with my trio and a guitarist, a uh, Brazilian guitarist. We already made a record a couple of years ago, and this will be kind of a follow-up of that. Great. And... Yeah, I've been really also inspired by Blake, uh, by by Chris's um, amount of output. Like, yeah. Uh, and actually, since talking to him, I've been I always put out like a record a, a year or something, 
but mm. now it's been like two or sometimes three you know <laughs> i think wow. i've been affected by that I what, feel like how, how is talking what has it brought out um like i feel like he's just um very courageously documenting his process and progress mm. and not thinking about like ah maybe i'm not ready yet for the next thing Mm -hmm. just trusting that everything will be just another photograph of you in that time. So I'm kind of trying to trust that also more. And it feels nice. It feels nice yeah. to, to do right. it. And it's always, you get the thrill from uh, sharing something with others, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's the, the, the bravery and also the, 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 <laughs> One thing that Chris would, I think one, one thing you said to me while we were discussing artwork actually for the album was like, there was something about the artwork that was making me uncomfortable. And so my, the logical step for me in that situation was to resolve the thing that was making me uncomfortable. And Chris's, whether it was for sake of the argument or your <laughs> actual instinct you're you were like i i think lean into and towards the thing that's making you uncomfortable and find out what's there you know in that and not not resolve it do you want to and say what it was no i think it's better to not i think it's yeah, okay. it's actually a more uh uh, I think it it'll it'll live on forever in in a much better way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would be better integrated in. Just let it sit, not pull it out, and focus it. Yeah, because I think if if it were examined in that way, I, I think that process would stop. The one yeah. that you're you're suggesting of like right. like let that exist, let that live with you and and evolve in you, and let it change. If, if if you if you if you if you sort of like cut it off and and hold it up, yeah. it, it stops evolving. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I've been like no, I've been like yeah. It's really it, it's ironic that I'm able to. Uh, it's ironic that it's me that says stuff like that because, you know, because of my OCD, it's like it's just really dramatic. Like the difference between the kinds of ten tension and like unresolved stuff that I can tolerate in art versus like, I will be 100% sure that I have my keys and my wallet and my phone for everything else. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not even remotely comfortable with any ambiguity about that. You know, it's like, so it's just funny to be this person that, that has, I, it's just a, it's weird to be it's your outlet for it i guess yes or 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 maybe i don't i don't know it's it's an interesting clash mm -hmm. well you may not have um i'm i'm posing this more as a question because I, I don't know what it is for you but you may not have the the ability to control the impulse of being 100 percent sure you have your keys in your phone uh, you know and in the in in that aspect of your life, you, you're like, you're not in control, but in, in, in art, you can offset that 
by telling yourself this is this is how I am in my music or this is how I'm going to be mm. in, in in my music? Yeah, I don't know. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. But um, I'm just thankful that. I mean, I've, I've I've wondered before if if the reason that I I think we might have even talked about this, Pablo, in in that extremely long uh, interview we did together. <laughs> um, yeah, it might be it might almost be that if I started to if I at all started to operate that way within music, the whole thing would shut down because it's like it it, it I'm so in if I if I start double checking anything or I said something yesterday to somebody about like caring a lot about caring a ton about music, but not being concerned about it. Mm -hmm. I used the word concern. Like I'm not concerned about music. I'm very, very concerned about like when I came over here and I took an Uber, mm -hmm. I'm very, very concerned about that. <laughs> the idea of risk risk assessment come in for somebody like me uh i mean i guess you, you've sort of articulated what you think a risk for somebody like me would be what would a risk for somebody like you be and are there risks and do you is it something that's easier for yeah yes well, well yeah exactly what I'm the risk is to then come to California and do a tour. So it's the risks. A lot of the, I've been taking, I've been pushing out, you know, in, uh, in the last couple of years, a lot of it, thanks to things you've invited me to do where I say yes, you know, so my tolerance for, Maybe I, you know, maybe it's true. Maybe the really, maybe the thing that really happens with me is that I say things about myself that aren't true anymore. And one of them is that I'm a risk. Like you said, like, it's like, probably not really. It's the, the most annoying thing is that I keep saying that, you know, there's these funny, there's these funny things like that, but I definitely am not, I'm not like my partner, Ruth, with like coming to California. She's much more relaxed with, um, you know, normal detail or Kyle or somebody like mm -hmm. Ruth is much closer to Kyle or something. a lot of my friends are like, I can see what their comfort level is with learning new things on their phone or out in the world and travel and all that. And I am different, but I'm less different than I was six weeks ago, mm -hmm. you know, and because I, once I do stuff, I start to get more relaxed about it. So, but I don't, I don't want to make the subjects this but yeah it's um I, yeah it's tricky it's like when do you when do you when are you you know there's a point at which when you bring these things up you're it's good because you're acknowledging that there's all sorts of different people in society with different problems you know, and it's it, it brings visibility and definitely had people even though i i have um fairly low profile it's like i've definitely had people reach out to me who have mental health stuff that feel validated by the fact that i'm you know who i am or whatever mm -hmm. but so there's that but then there's also it's a fine line because then you know it's you certainly don't want it to be a fucking brand and you don't want it to be 
a decision about how the rest of your life is going to be. I think that's, you know, um, you know, uh, it's a balance. It's a balancing act. You know, I pulled up this, uh, I was at a party last night in Laurel Canyon and uh, I would like left the main room because I was just like burned out on trying to talk to people because it was, I wasn't freaking out, but it was just, it wasn't my. What's honest. your strategy on parties? Me? Yeah. Well, I don't go to very many. Magic. <laughs> <laughs> Magic tricks? No, I, I, I just, I think I'm pretty normal in parties. I'm not super anxious, but I also like to be a little daring and like just go in the other room and sit down on my own for a minute if I yeah. feel like. And I did that and I picked up this, there, there was a, there was a, uh, like a glass with like rider weight tarot cards in it. And I'm kind of scared of tarot cards. Like if you pick one, you could pick death, you know, like I, I, I kind of, I'm, I kind of don't take tarot that seriously, but I probably do. And I'm kind of scared of it, mm -hmm. you know? So, but I did, I, I was willing to just pick a card, you know? And I got temperance, which when I looked it up is about not being, not going to extremes and, um, and trying to find a middle path, which is something, you know, so, you know, it's nice to, uh, nice to represent, you know, those of us that have anxiety problems and it can limit our lives, you know, but it's also, there's a point at which you don't want to be creating that right reality by repeating it over and over again. You know? And Blake is definitely a positive influence because he's like a lot of my friends. He, he's gently, um, he believes that I'm capable of things that I'm afraid of at first, you know, and then I do them. And, you know, if they're usually fun. <laughs> <laughs> How much of a, risk or um maybe an uncomfortable situation was touring for you oh my god it wasn't uncomfortable at all for this one because it was fucking fun it was because i mean in general i'm again this is i'm not about to like go tour solo or if you have to do any of the any of the real work i couldn't tolerate it i couldn't deal with yeah. it but um, Blake's manager, uh, Julian Chavez, one of Blake's managers was tour managing and he's just like an angel. He, he's like the most, he's like the, one of the smartest people I've ever met, I think just in, in, it's in all these different areas and he's, he's really funny, but he's also kind of quiet sometimes, but he's just like such a man and like, so every, he's just He's why do you oh no like when the I'm just picturing him when he hears you say that about him that he's such a man. I'm just picturing him. How will that feel to him? That yeah, that resonate with him. You just kind of like went past it quickly, but it was <laughs> that was really really beautifully put. He's he is a man. He's, he's such a man. He's he's a, the other day Sorry. we went we went and we um, shot uh, did some archery like with a friend of ours and um, our friend Dory Bavarsky. And um, he took us like to do archery and Julian came and I was like, oh, Julian's here. And we were shooting like regular bows and arrows, like a short distance. 
it was actually really fun. I was very scared at first. I was like hiding behind a tree. <laughs> and then I, and then I was like, I think I'm not going to get killed. And I eventually <laughs> was shooting them. And, and I actually did it in high school a little bit and kind of could do it slightly. But then like I looked over and Julian had his own bow and arrow that was like for hunting. I don't think he hunts, but he has like a it looks like a freaking it's a compound bow so it's it's the kind that like you you pull back and it locks and there's like a sight on it and yeah and so it's a pro we were, thing yeah we were using we were using these beautiful but but much more accessible like 25 pound bows so the, the, the pressure on the pulling back but then so julian is just aiming these really far distances and just his body language just pull and the yeah. speed of the arrow is like you look over it and it's just like the perfect analogy for the difference between this it's like one of these is not like the other and it's like sorry he looks a that, little like george clooney sometimes he's like yeah. a, he's like really handsome and he but the thing that he's so so good at, and and one of the reasons why I was confident that if I could convince Chris to come out and do these shows, that he would have a good time, is because I'm not a fan of touring myself. Yeah, I was I, I was going to ask you. Yeah, I only uh, there are things about it that I really enjoy, and things that I don't, and I I kind of feel like at this point there's no reason to to suffer the things that I, I don't, because I don't need to tour. It doesn't really ultimately do a lot for promoting the kinds of projects I'm usually involved in. Um, so it's, it's almost always a labor of love now. Uh, and for that reason, we really make sure that we can route it and experience it in a way that we can still manage to trim off all of the the, the kind of bullshit, you know, and not kill ourselves uh, literally or figuratively. So Julian as a tour manager, which is not something he ever aspired to be, um, is great at, yes, like being sensitive to the shows and venues and, and the, 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 all the logistics of the concerts, but but just as importantly, the days off and the routing uh, to allow for these experiences that end up becoming, for a lot of us, more meaningful than some of the shows. And that's like yeah. a, a, a gorgeous hike or a, 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 an Airbnb that's on a river somewhere. And just to disconnect from thinking about the show too much and thinking about like um our you know our, ourselves and and like you know the ego death thing is is important to have a, a bit of that alongside the tour where you're you're it's all you know you're it's hard to not think about yourself and your show and be concerned with like what do i need what will i need to you know right. perform to do this it's like you you that's not a part of your your day when you're standing at the foot of a 200 foot waterfall right right it's cool it was it would be too there's too many details to say you know it started i'll say we started with blake playing with joni mitchell at the gorge which i got to 
I wasn't playing, but I was, and I got to, I was hanging out with, uh, Blake and Gabby were staying at the site. And then we, and then Julian and Joseph and I were staying like at the nearest available hotel. It's very rural out there. So we're staying like an hour away. So there's just all these little details like this, that little micro hang between those three days, me and Julian and Joseph getting breakfast together and then driving together, just all these little micro hangs, like, and like getting to see Blake rehearse with those people and, and Annie Lennox is singing and everybody's like, what the fuck It's like it's all these little details, you know, and then the actual concert and then our little tour with all the little sections. It's like, if I start talking about the details, I'll get lost because it, it was Please so get lost. Please get lost now. I know. I mean, it was pretty. It was very special. My yeah. favorite. We'll say my favorite. Like alluded to it. My favorite place we stayed was in a place called Index, Washington. I'd never been to the Northwest before in my life. So I've read a lot about Washington State, and like a lot of people in the '90s, like early '90s, I you know not for grunge reasons or whatever, but just I think there was a sort of a time where a lot of people, you know, in, in the country were, I mean, I was fascinated with writers from that region, like when I was in high school, but just being in like Bigfoot country and like in the woods, it, it was so cool. It was beautiful there. Yeah. It was, and, we, and that was like, we were in this like, like cabin kind of place that we we're like playing games in there at night. It, and then we set, because it was before our first show, we set up, our gear in the, in the cabin and like kind of did some rehearsing and, and playing. And it was just like no pressure. It was just, it felt like we were making a, a weird record. Yeah. You know, it, it was like a big pink kind of feeling. Yeah. It was very special. Very it sounds nice. so cool. I mean, that sounds like the most ideal kind of touring that I could think of, you know, that's exactly what it is. And that's, That's that's the experiment. It's like think of the ideal and then try to execute it. And yeah. that's that's kind of the criteria now, I think, for it should be for anybody. Yeah. I mean, it's very different from how I tour, you know, where everybody's like, Okay, can we find this week where we can do stuff together? Oh shit, I have to I hope I can find a gig each day to ha have enough money for us to be able to make it worthwhile and after that everybody runs into the next band that they're playing with because in jazz these days you can't really afford just playing with one band and live off of that you know you have to do all kinds of projects take take on all kinds of projects and then i'm scared of an off day because i don't want sometimes i can feel my my friends even get kind of oh, what are we doing here Are we playing a game in the woods in a cabin? Come on, what you know, you know? And I feel yeah. like I want to do this, you know? I want to I want to yeah. go on hikes and have of course I want to play music, but the music will be so much more informed by live stuff. If it's not, you know, because a lot of the times it's informed by sitting in the car for six hours on the highway, you know? And that's not so fun. Although the You know, I'm not, I won't complain or anything, you know, I'm grateful for the opportunities that I get, but hearing you say this and talk about this, and also, I, of course, I saw photos and videos online, and maybe I'm getting off topic now, but I, 
I it was it made me so happy to see you guys together. You know, mm. having talked to you, Chris, years ago, and then Blake, and then that you guys end up together, make this crazy album, and then you go on hikes together. And I was like, yes, yes, this is so great. I'm so happy that you guys, you know. And when we first talked, Chris, I think you you were already in touch and you were working on the Amazon thing. Yeah. But and then when I first saw the first footage of you in the studio together, I think it was on your Instagram page, um, like oh, yeah. uh, the boogie the boogie clarinet clarinet <laughs> thing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. What is this? You know, I and I, I just wanted to mention I would I would have never. Um, Played those yes. notes. No, no, no. <laughs> you said that. You said that. No, no, I would have never guessed what kind of album you guys would have made together. I couldn't I couldn't have predicted any of, of this. And that and yet it totally sounds like you guys. Nice. And that's really that's really cool. I'm curious, like what how do you think the album would sound like if you would have done the touring first and the recording? after that I mean we probably would have made an album that represented the sound of us just you know two guitars but then the songs wouldn't exist yeah what we were doing on guitar was was in it, it was like kind of trying to pay respect to some things that happened on the record that are not guitar like Right, all. right. So, um, that the the idea of what happens to songs when you're performing them in repetition and in front of audiences, and and then just also time, like as songs evolving in time, poses a philosophical issue with every every artist. I think of like, should I? I wish I could make this record again now you know, having learned what I've learned about these songs. Um, but I also think that puts maybe a little too much importance on the record uh, over the show. Like, I, I think, um, and, and I think some bands get this, but you, records can be a means to to get to the show. Yeah. You know, get to what's happening musically. Um, and creatively in a, in a live context. It could also be that like a song fully matures years and years later. Um, probably some songs that I, we, that we played, you know, older songs, both of ours that, that uh, um, still feel fresh and interesting and inspiring to revisit for a couple of mysterious reasons as opposed to all of the other ones at least for me that i have no interest in playing live and that's growing like that list for me is growing because i'm just not i'm not interested in rehashing some things uh creatively at the moment yet i might get far enough away from them at some point to where it feels interesting again to revisit mm-hmm you know yeah i feel i feel similarly i mean in the sense that i feel just a really 
powerful forward feeling, you know? And um, I don't even know, but I also, I yeah, I guess I'm just about to say nothing, actually. I just realized when we were talking, <laughs> nothing was going to happen. That song, <laughs> that song, Unsingable, on the record is is largely about, you know, the process of not, or the idea of not putting yourself um, through the process of performing things you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's pretty to, to put it simply, it's just like, don't disrespect yourself. It's One my daughter's that- favorite song, by the way. Oh, yeah, very they had big. they had to listen to the album also for weeks, you know. So right. and that's what she's singing along when the record is not playing. That's the melodies. That's that's what she's singing. Wow, very good taste. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, cool. It's a beautiful song. That one is that one is musically Blake's. Like I think. I think my only contribution to that, I feels like mine, but I think that one. Can I guess? Re- guess what? Oh, it's off. Let me see. Maybe it's on now. <laughs> Put a little keyboard here. Hmm. Now, what? How does it go? The uh, the once it get, goes back to the to the A. Where where is it now? I have. Ah, oh, yeah, here. Let's see. Made a try. Um. What are you guessing? My guess is that this was your contribution, those two little bars. No. No. I, I think. It's interesting. Well, I think we're. The, We'll be careful with this. I don't want to get it. We shouldn't get into this because we're going to present uh, uh, just like parents, like deciding what they're going to tell their kid, like together. It's not, did dad tell me I couldn't do it? Or did mom tell me I couldn't do it? It's like, <laughs> no, we told you. Yeah. But um, <laughs> that I, part of it is that I just praised like your daughter's taste so much. So I don't, I, I don't want that to sound egotistical. Uh, unsingable, I think, is 100% musically Blake's, and the lyrics are mine. Right. Uh, not even all of them, but my contribution comes from lyric, just the lyric side, I think. But it feels, mm-hmm. having played it with Blake, even saying that doesn't feel real. It's like, I feel like that music, it would be cool to get to this with everything. I think it's possible to, like, there's a possible state of being where everything feels like it's yours and not yours. You know, like this whole, all the divisions between everything just like start to get like whatever. But yeah, that, that, uh, that melody that your, uh, your daughter is singing is a, is a Blake Mills melody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A very beautiful one. Yeah. It is. Yeah. But if she, if she starts saying things like uh, coin toss pool mosaic, around the house <laughs> that's definitely something you can then you can then you can introduce her to the next Chris Weisman record that she yeah. hasn't heard yet yeah okay there was some other little thing that back there but I think I, I can't remember what it was let's get into the topic of uh, skeleton either in B flat or E flat 
Can you describe your perspectives on it? Well, for, for me, it's it, the under music thing is for me, the under music thing sounds like, um, yeah, I mean, uh, E flat, it's fingered as a C. Um, so I, I can sell my own perspective the way Blake can hear it. So Blake can hear my perspective. The trick is to um, hear it as pomp and circumstance. The, you know, all those, all those chords are there. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. And then it goes somewhere else. But then play it again. Is it? Uh, and then give me a, a so skeleton is is that right? In a double cloud, skeleton is walking. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So here, here, here's the melody as a, as a ninth. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So if you if you just like adjust your ears and your brain to that musically, boom. Then I think you you enter into the pool. Uh, but wait, what key do you hear then? B flat. I hear it in B flat, but yeah. I wanted to get into your perspective uh -huh. and my way of trying to get there and failing halfway, but still yeah. was to hear the first bar as an upbeat yes. to the second bar, which is somehow the first bar then. Right. Yeah. That, that little turnaround. Oh, you're, oh, he's hearing, not only hearing, he's hearing that G or the B flat as if it's the first bar of the rotation too. So you, you hear like uh, the phrasing that way. So you hear the progression is like, okay. So that's another, that's a whole other thing. Cause Blake's yeah, but, still, but I was wondering about that first when I wrote it down, I wrote it down like an upbeat and then mm. starting on E flat. Yes. That's and how we I both hear it. That's the last, last bar of the form, you know? Right. And then it was, but then the way Abe sort of played towards the, sometimes towards the E flat, but sometimes also towards the B flat, right. I was confused and later on just decided on B flat being the first huh. thing that you hear and being the yeah. first bar. Mm -hmm. There's actually been all these, it's almost, it's almost like dumb to talk about it because it's su such an easy, almost PR hook, which is all the times that Blake and I heard things differently. Like there were, there was, mo usually this doesn't happen at all. Like it's pretty rare. Usually people hear stuff the same way. Like you were, you know, for the most part, but there was, there's like four or five of them in this yes, album. Nick, yeah. I'm, I'm with you guys. I have certain things which you can hear different. Like, Pre press my lock. Um, do you hear that way? Press my luck. So press my luck to me is like those three chords have interesting relationships to each other. Yeah. Like A flat is the subdominant of E flat, but E flat is the subdominant of B flat. So where are we, you know, and within you... looping it all the time, I get dizzy sometimes, you know, yeah. I want to hear it in E flat. But the way it's played, 
it it gets transported, you know? It's flat, but it starts on the four chord. Mm -hmm. But I hear the phrase, I get lost in the phrasing. Mm. And yeah. And I get confused. And I actually have this nightmarish thing that happens to me that actually made it so I could not. It was comical because it's literally those four triads. Mm -hmm. But at the shows, I sometimes couldn't play the song. Yeah. Like I would go to play and I'd be in the wrong place. And it had to do less with, I wasn't forgetting the chord sequence. It was that I couldn't rely on my sense of where the structural downbeat was. Yes, yes. I'm totally with you. Yes. And on the chorus, I hear it in a different place than I do on the verse. So it's mm -hmm. like I get turned around in, in the, it, it's like so weird. Is it because yeah. the, because of where the dominant chord, I don't know. Why. You know what might be kind of funny about that song is that the, because the, the, um, on both skeleton and press my luck, the progression, uh, let's say, assuming, you know, we hear those songs, like the majority of people hear them tonically, mm -hmm. the, both progressions start on the four chord. So the, Wait, the does, dom doesn't it start on the five chord for skeleton? B flat? Five and no. E flat? No, because it starts on E flat. <laughs> oh, wait, wait. Oh, oh. Four. Oh, oh, you're here, but we're talking about your start, not Pablo's yes. start. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, he initially heard it that way and then, right. then changed. Correct, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I guess like the, the lowest common denominator primary color version of both of these pieces of music is that the progression would start on a four chord, which means that the dominant setup for that at the end of the, the bar, the pickup bar yeah. is a one chord right, right. dominant, which might be what's making it. No, it's not that because I, I don't have any trouble hearing like Dylan is so good at starting on four chords. It's not that because I, I it's not like I ever, so. no. Mr. Tambourine that Man response, doesn't. that that kind of like no, it makes me all the more suspicious that that's what it is. But I never get confused by know. Mr. Tambourine Man. That starts on four. There's a or or it's all over now, Baby Blue or whatever. yeah. But the progression doesn't uh, starts on four. It does, but it doesn't end. Well, I guess the front half doesn't end on a one chord. It ends on a five chord. Maybe it's that. But the thing with the thing with skeleton is that. I mean, if you, so you're, you're, the thing is, is that you're, in order to make this idea, you have to say it's in B flat and then you're getting confused and hearing it the other way. But think of it from my perspective. If you hear it as starting on E flat and then start making intellectual arguments for why it's in that key, you get pretty far thinking with support for mine. I know most people hear it in B flat. By the way, Pablo, there are people who do hear it in my key and they are hardcore believers in my key. I've only two of them. That's it so far. Two and a half. I have two and a half. Yeah. And they're seri all very serious musicians. Not more serious than the B flat people, but, they, but you know what I mean? So yeah. I know B flat is winning, but I don't know why, because it, with this exception of your theory, like if you think of it just as like E flat and B flat are almost the same key, except for the A flat and the A natural question. Mm -hmm. The first of those two appear is A flat. But I don't know that it's an order thing as much as the, the familiarity harmonically of a five of five versus a two major seven. Oh, and, mm -hmm. and that has to do with my Vanova note. It has. 
Yeah, it has to, well, it has to do with. Oh, two, that's a dominant seven though. But yeah, when, I'm it, saying when it's, it's the A in the bass, if you're, when it has the A in the bass, you have the, you have the minor oh, seven. Oh, yes, I'm sorry, you're right. It's, 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 it's when it's, when it has the, the E natural yeah. in it. Well, so. yeah, that's another thing is that I think that it's possible that the linchpin of this whole thing is my Venova note. And that I've practiced hearing a flat two. So what is it? What what is it? It's a two major seven. So it's a it's a it's, it's like two a major seven. So it is a flat two in the key, my key. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a it's a flat two. It, it's it, a raised tonic. Like an e, it's an E natural. It's a flat two. It's a flat two for me. E not against yeah. the chord, but against the key. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, so, in, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a. It's, so it's effectively like if you're bum in this key. Yeah. It's just being comfortable with this. Yeah. Like oh, 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 all the time, whenever. And it's like I think it. That's another case that might be made for, like, if if you're in B flat, that's just a sharp four, and it's uh-huh. just like that's just flirtation with with a note people are more used to. A question for you guys: If we're in the key of E flat, we're talking about an F major seven chord. Yes. It's an F with a with an E natural in it. Yes. Spelling? Spelling question? Yeah. Well, if you're being strict, E flat sharp. What is it? No. It it's, would be a. It would. It, it, it's just a, the place where yeah. things become annoying. Yeah. If you were if <laughs> yeah, if you were notating yeah. that. And you were writing, it depends, it would depend on the context, but if I was writing a single, if I was writing on paper for somebody. It'd be E natural. Right? I, oh, it depends. I, I, it, it's, it's more E nat, it's technically an F flat. No, because it's a major seven. Well, there's, there's the two F things is- clashing there. It, it, it's, it's, it depends on if you're privileging the chord or the key. But if you're, if you're strictly looking at the key, then you would be thinking, if you're very strictly in E flat, for example, mm-hmm. which is up for debate, <laughs> then it would be, then if there's going to be that note, it would most typically be spelled as an F flat. But I'm E but, flat, F flat, F, G flat, G, A flat, A, B flat, yes. C flat, C, D flat, D. E flat, that would be the bouquet of chromatics. But if we're on a two chord, yeah. You wouldn't say it has both an F and an F flat in it. You, you wouldn't. You def- definitely wouldn't want to. But so wouldn't you just call it an e, an E natural so that it could operate as the seventh? It depends on if you're privileging the horizontal or the yeah. vertical. Yeah. Because if you're That's privileging weird. the vertical, then you would just never want to think of a major seven chord as having an. Yeah, you're right. But it's context. It's just ease. It's like in my mind, it's an E. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm never thinking about F flat. Are you ever thinking F flats, Pablo? When you're never, in F, no, like pretty much never, no. right? Pretty much never, unless I think the most important thing, if you're writing down music for somebody else, is that somebody else quickly understands yeah. the thing. Yeah. And then being strict about keys and everything sometimes can get in the way of that, you know. So I make exceptions for that. So. Right. Just, I definitely, yeah. yeah. I don't follow those rules, but I have a question for you, Pablo. Actually, I'm curious. I could just look at one of your charts, but with jazz that's very colorful, 
or music that's very colorful. Um, do you, we probably talked about this. I don't use key signatures ever. No, ever. me neither. I hate it. Oh, nice, mm, nice, nice. Yeah. You're never dealing with the major minor system in the background. It's just notes on paper. And if there's a C sharp at the beginning of the measure, it'll stay that way unless you see a natural sign. And then you yes. get a full reset every measure, right? Yes. But sometimes I do a just a sweet little reminder at the end of the bar if needed, because some people are forgettable within one bar and me included sometimes if there's a lot of accidentals and, and stuff like that. Well, you might give them a C sharp again. Yeah. So I sometimes will do a courtesy like C natural and the, it's made worse with my music because a lot of times the note is an unexpected note. It's dissonant, you know, but I'm putting together a score right now with my friend Ellie McAfee Han, who's helping me actually we're going to publish a score of uh my uh what's that album called however certain of my hooks yeah beautiful you told me that's great oh yeah so i'm like figuring out like where do i put like privilege like where do i put like courtesy notes and stuff we're, we're trying to make it like the same because then you don't want to expect it and not get it it's like so mm -hmm. basically writing down music sucks yeah it's yeah <laughs> Hey, yeah, my wife just pulled up, so she's going to be coming in the house, and I'm going to take a, a leak. So another little, like, splice. Beautiful. Sure, yeah. Oh, the last splice, Pablo and I were talking about some interesting stuff, so he may end up using it. For sure. It's not you pissing oh. is in there. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs> you can edit that out with AI. Or Should with I the help lunch? of my producer, I think. Hey, Blake, can I ask you a very quick question? Yeah. Kyle's asking, should I get lunch or will you guys want to get something together? This is before the Ringo rehearsal. Let's let's we can order some food or eat something here, but we can we'll eat before rehearsal. Great. Um, we're um singing for Ringo Starr in a couple of days. Of course you are. I told you about that, right? No, no. That, uh, what's happening? I'll tell you in a second. One second. Uh, we'll eat together. Um, so Kyle, my friend, Kyle, Kyle, Thomas, Actually, Chris, can yeah. I ask you, I mean, this is very late in the conversation, but could I, could you, could you come a little bit more to the center of the yes. screen? Pablo, this is my wife, Gabby. Hello. Hey, Gabby. Nice to meet you. Your room's so blue. It is. Yeah, I have a kind of a blue, blue thingy in the, in the back. <laughs> Gabby spent some time in Berlin. Where are you? Cologne. No, I live in Cologne, but it's it's six hours from from here, and I spent some time in Berlin at, at times. Yeah, I never made it to Köln. Next time, yeah. you're always welcome. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Good reason to go visit. Your house looks amazing. This uh, I've seen it in the video. Also, this is it seems like a very special oh, place. Son, uh, Lloyd Wright did the design of it. It's wow. in Chevy Chase Canyon. It's very beautiful here. Wow. It's a very beautiful house. Yeah. I did, it's not too, I haven't been, I've been like this. Yeah. Is, and is that, you think it's okay or is it a major drag or? Well, if you could be more in the center of the, um, not at the center, but to have yeah. you as present as Blake. Yeah. But sometimes I'm with these things when we're already in it. I don't want to do a sound check or a, a light check or something. 
I've been noticing it, but thinking it was is okay. I guess it's just the visual anyway. It's not the audio. Eh? Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we're doing. Um, so my friend Kyle, who does this band, his band is called King Tough. He's my friend from Brattleboro. Um, indirectly, he's actually why I live in Brattleboro. He's was in a band with my brother and 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 Ruth, and I met Ruth and Kyle on the same day. Kyle's who I stay with when I come here. And um, Kyle got asked to do this like birthday thing for Ringo's birthday in a couple of days. And um, and then when he was on the phone with the woman, she was like, we asked Blake Mills too. And then Kyle was like, that's really weird. I see Blake every day because my friend made an album with him. And then she's like, oh, he should sit, he, he should play too. And so once that happened, I was like, okay, I'll stay an extra week just to do it. And it's just, yeah. we're just like, I'm just playing bass with Kyle for a couple of songs and I, we're going to maybe do some, all three of us, but it's like a weird event that is like probably too hot. It's like definitely too early. Like we have to be there in a couple of days at nine 30 in the morning and it's in Beverly Hills. So there's horrible traffic getting there. And, mm -hmm. but it's like one of those weird situations, like where it's kind of a mishmash of, of like names kind of, but, um, It'll 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 just be worth it to be near Ringo Starr for something. Of course, yeah. It'll be. I'm sure it'll be corny and and funny and too hot, but it'll probably be. And Blake, your your friend Jim Keltner is going to be there. So yeah, I'll know some people there, and it'll be good to just see you know everybody. Mm. It'll be cool. What did you guys think of the the documentary? Get the, back, get, get back. back, get, get back. I loved it. It's like the best thing that ever happened. Right? <laughs> yes. You look totally. like you're in that documentary, Pablo. That lighting looks like... Um... Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, like in the first hall where they have the lights. Yeah. That's nice. I, I watched it two times and I I'm probably want to go there again. It was so great to see them as people also, like as friends <laughs> hanging out as kids and also what I loved most about it and what actually changed my uh, relationship to music making was how much goofing around it was, you know, the amount of goofing around compared to the actual music making or the actual, okay, let's be serious. Let's, let's do another take, you know, was like, to me, it felt like 70% to 30% or something. Mm -hmm. And on, then also how it, mingled with each other you know yeah yeah for sure it's so it, inspiring they're, they're basically john lennon said that too towards the end of his life like when back it was when he was i think in in private he was very proud of the beatles but in public he was really dismissive hmm. but he said like i wish i'd been a comedian and like i wished i had been part of monty python or something yeah you know it hadn't it didn't exist till after but yeah, I loved it. It was so good. I, you know, it'd be a fun tradition is to watch it once a year at Thanksgiving weekend when it came mm -hmm. out. I would I'd like to do that. So, but uh, let's get back to Press My Luck. So I'm confused. Is it in E flat or is it in B flat? I think of it as E flat. Yeah. Okay, good. There's another song, um, Highway Bright where the chord progression also, I lose sense of gravity within 
those couple of chords. Yeah. They belong together, but where's the center? Where's the, you know, it's, it feels like it starts on this, in the second bar also, like what you would think of the second bar, it starts there somehow. The tonic arrives in both Press My Luck and in How It Bright, the tonic arrives in the second bar. Yeah, I think it's, um, Blake and I hear it the same. It's like five, five, one, four, two. Okay, here's a question. D flat, G flat. Uh, I'm just going to give this to both you guys. B, A flat yep. minor. Yeah. Oh, I wrote C flat. Because <laughs> he wrote it. Because he was writing it. No, in my mind, it's B. Yeah. And verbally, I, I would say C flat. Mm -hmm. What do you... So, for Wendy Melvoin, mm. do you oh. think of the first two beats as like the first the first bar of two as um beats three four of a pickup or do you think of it as as a a bar of two at the top like if you were counting that song off would you go a full count of four or would you go one two da, 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 da. or one yeah. two so three i thought a lot i thought a long time about this and I wrote it down in different ways. Um, but the way I think it's the easiest for somebody new to read it is to be to say it's the two four bar. Yep. And then there's a repetition sign at the second bar. And I'm just going to show it to you. Can you see this? Mm -hmm. uh, oh. oh. It just makes it readable. Too so you are thinking of the A flat as a kind of powerful downbeat. I mean, it. I think yes. it's ambiguous, but it. Is, I mean, that's also the key center, right? So yeah. Yes, and then it the thing gets repeated here, and then yeah. it's part of the form. Yeah, that's probably the smartest way to do it. I think the chart that I drew out for it. I think I did it all in two four. Sometimes yeah, that was I, another thought that I had. Yeah. Sometimes if I have half bars mixed in, which is one hundred percent of the time, then I, in order not to run into dealing with it, mm -hmm. I just do everything as everything as two four. So it's like it's like a half bar. It's like a bar of two a bar of C minor, a two beat bar of C minor, and then two bars, whatever. But in my mind, it's in 4-4 four, four with yeah. half bars. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have a question for you guys. Um, this was my assumption, this chord, C-flat over B. It's at the... Mm -hmm. uh, oh, yeah. It's a... Um, it's, uh, let's see. Second chord. That's what I'm asking. Right. I think it's. Let me get to that point. I think it is. What do you have written? Where was the spot on the chart? So C flat over B. Minor. Uh, oh, a C flat over B. So, so like a like a like an A flat minor yeah. seven. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Where are you? In the bridge. Okay. So we're going. We go. Boom. Oh. 
is that guitar, is one of these guitars flat? I could also play it for you. Is it this one here? That? It's it's a, oh, I'm still tuning that one. Jeez, I'm oh, you're in that. It's, um, that move there is, it's, it goes from, um, an A flat, uh, a, a B flat major. Seven. Yeah, it's in there. Oh, major seven. Oh, that's a, that's a different, oh. different bar. Oh, okay. So we're, so, yeah. and then, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh. Okay, I, I have to get there. I'm lost. Can you hear this? Could you hear this? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's an A minor. And I'm talking about this chord. Yeah. Yeah. I think I do that as a. I think I. I have an answer for this, but I can't think of what it is. Cause I, I, I haven't. I think I played as an E flat minor. Oh, interesting. That's what it is. I think it's an it's, E flat it's, minor. That's what it is. It, it's a, then to okay. C, then to a C minor again. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's um, it's in G for a second, right? There's some crazy melody notes yeah, like over the, some of the chords. In a different tuning. I don't. I just play the melody now on the Venova, so I'm like out of touch with everything except for that. I play it in different tunings and on a guitar with dots. There's definitely some. <laughs> there's definitely some. So da 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 da. da. Yeah, well, I don't know. We we didn't know that. <laughs> it's just. <laughs> <laughs> it can be whatever pleases you. Whatever okay, pleases fine. You. I'm going to try the E flat minor. I think that bar. Yeah, I think when I play E flat minor under that melody, mm -hmm. it's it's what I'm doing on guitar at least. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, it's um, there's sort of like an original set of changes, and then Blake. Um, kind of changed those. There, some of them are the same, and some of them are different. I was trying to write a part that was reminiscent of the guitar part in "Just Wrong," mm -hmm. so using the same like sort of trick on guitar, the same picking pattern and and groupings of notes. And so sometimes those shapes you you can they can be used. They can be redundant in a nice way where you you just sort of uh, slide them around and you're not playing the root or the full chord and um, because there's no bass in that song or that section of the song, it can really upend what it sounds like the chord is right. supposed to be. But mm -hmm. it's but then when we played it live as a duo, I I came up with a new part so that you get a better sense of the of the mm. the progression yeah we were listening to some brazilian music in the because blake was actually picking me up like kyle and blake live not terribly close together but five miles apart so and then the studio 
Sound City is in Van Nuys, which is 45 minutes away. Less, like 25. Really? Yeah. Um, from here. Yeah. Yeah, maybe a little a little further across. Anyways, we would be driving together in Blake's car to the studio and we were listening to um some Brazilian music that just you know would be more um guitar voice percussion forward without bass. And kind of like that was almost like a little a little idea that kind of showed up on the record some. Like there's definitely some songs that are very ripe for bass that don't have any. I think Wendy didn't have bass because um because unsingable didn't have bass though. Right. So it just was like extending that. I think I think so, yeah. Yeah. But unsingable didn't have bass because of the Brazilian music? It's possible, but I, I think it was like it just felt better without like the at least as as a whatever bass I could think of to play, it didn't it wasn't helping. Yeah. I, I feel like I probably tried it and then took it out. Yeah, erase the bass. It's a nice technique. Yeah, the thing is, I listened cool. so closely to this album, I never noticed this. I didn't. I never noticed the absence mm. on those tracks. Well, Blake's fretless guitar is a baritone. Is, mm-hmm. Are you playing bass notes on? Are you on unsingable? Wait, is that even half fretless? On? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a point at which in the choruses the fretless is moving around, but but there, it's actually that second chorus it's playing the wrong. There's a mistake, right? The, the, the second the, chorus of Unsingable has this weird mistake. It's a, it's a D chord instead of an A chord. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I love this. Yeah, and I did I, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it sounds then, like a D major over A with the third of A in it. But in B, so it's it's bluesy. Yeah, so it's like a like a minor three chord. Mm-hmm. Nice. It's got a good. It just resonates with the lyric at that spot too, in a nice way. Where it's just like that's way better than what I was trying to play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's cool. For a long time, Wendy Melvoin was my favorite song of the album. In the past days, it changed. And now uh, the light is uh, long is is my favorite. Interesting. No. Something changed. I don't know. And uh, I don't know what my question was about that song, but um, I had trouble finding finding out what the form was for the change of harmonies, right? Because the changes in harmony are very very subtle. Mm. I was trying to make a form out of it to to see, okay, if I count five times that that circle and then the, all of a sudden it's a, it's a sus instead of a G minor, you know, and, and then it resolves to G major. I was trying to figure that out because in the live video that I saw from you guys, um, Chris, you also accent the, made, the turn to major mm. with the Venova beautifully. Thank you. It's actually, there's an interesting spot in there where there's an ambiguous chord in the music. There's a place where Blake does go to that on purpose, and it's in the guitar. But there's a place too. I think it's right after that where I would I went back to like G melodic minor, and Blake was like, "No, it's B still." 
even though there's no be there. So Blake also had imagined how long be lasts in the music, even when it's just a ghost. And yeah. it was different between us. And I, I went with Blake's and played, you know, kind of from like more of a major, just a straight major sort of scale until until a little later and went back to B flat. Yeah. It's kind of I think the major minor thing is being based on the the lyric and the story of the song, kind of like this or the way that sun comes through mm. a, a partly cloudy sky. It's like it's it's major for a moment just long enough to where you're you're aware that it's major and then it, it returns you know to minor and then back again but there's a couple lyrics in the song where it just kind of makes sense to point to some you know some ominousness or you know I'll tell you that that you know that voicing of the five chord is I mean it's Well, it's, it's like that doesn't oh, tell you it's over G, or is it a D7 over G? I think of it as a the classical chord. I think of it as a as a as a as a D7 over G. Yeah, I think of it as a. Is there no D in it? Oh, maybe in the bass. It well sometimes yeah. There's a D, the open string, there. So that's one of the voicings. Hard to see, but. Like, like a what would be a D7 shape because the tuning, the B string is dropped down a whole step, so so you get the minor third in the D chord there. It's kind of like our 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 five chord on such like horses, too. Mm-hmm. And when you have it as a straight D7 with G in the bass, it's coming out of a minor chord. So there's still the memory of the minor thirds rubbing against that chord. Because when I play that chord in the solo section, and we're in major. uh, It's a very different feeling chord. So I, in the solo section, I actually go, to the minor after that five, the five chord in the cells. Is this the song that you wrote it and then I coincidentally told you about a tuning my brother told you about and you just dropped your high string a whole step and yes. just played all the same fingerings? Yes. <laughs> so yeah, I think this song... Oh yeah, I've never heard it the way it was. Because they were like... It's the song very... was the, it's the... It's what the solo section sounds like. More like a dominant chord or something? I can't remember. Mm. 
same kind of palette. <laughs> it's just it gives you, yeah, it does give you a little bit more of a um, a feeling of walking towards something instead of like the 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 the, the pure major gives you this feeling of like it's you're settled and you're just mm. sitting back and you're reflecting. But this one feels a little more like there's something still to be achieved. Ominous. So yeah. the tuning, just for anybody who's paying attention, is uh, it, it was like C in the bass, right? Yes, C, G, D, G, or A from a B, and then E. Right, so in the tuning you wrote it in, instead of having an E up high, had a... No, it's a, in the, 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 the B string. That's the one you changed. Is down a step, yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, it's the B that changed. Okay. It was a weird coincidence. I was like, have you heard of this tuning? My brother just is playing with it. Blake was like, yeah, I just wrote a song in it, except for one thing. There is something... Cl- clever in the arrangement of Light is Long I'd like to share which is that Sam Gandell was in the studio playing his Mm. MIDI controller soprano saxophone Mm -hmm. and there was a solo that Blake had taken on Fretless yeah and a pretty fast like you know pretty much in a I think it's pretty much in melodic minor but it's still very fluid and very it's complex in a way and I, I knew Sam was, like, incredible, but they were just, like, I think Sam was just sitting there, just idly played a couple notes from it or something. Because I think you were thinking about having him solo instead of you. I don't know what was going on. I, no, I think it was just, like, I probably just said, hey, can you, let's see what it sounds like if you double yeah. the solo. You and said he just played it, and, and his, his response time between listening to the solo and playing it was so quick that it was like it was like a slap back. You know, in some cases, he probably even knew what I was going to play and just went. It was re- it, it freaked me out. It freaked me out because it was like an ear training thing, like I've never seen before. It was like, and I've seen some shit, you know. And it was like he played the whole thing perfectly after, and there were leaps in it and stuff. And he just he was so chill, and he it was like. The only unchill thing in the room was when I overreacted to it happening after it happened. Cause I like freaked the fuck out. I did not contain myself. Cause it was, I just was, it was Blake and, and Sam sitting at the board and me on the other side of it, like, right. And I saw it happen. And I was just like, what? It was like, and it, it, it's a, it's a matter of degree. It's like, I've seen this kind of thing and I can do this kind of thing, but it was just that it was like with sports where it's just enough better that it seems like I didn't know people did that, you know? But then the thing that was cool in the arrangement, and that I, I take credit for this idea, although I might be wrong, remembering wrong, is no, this is, I remember to flip it so that it sounds like it's, to flip the role so that it sounds like it's Blake chasing Sam. Yeah. So you hear it, it's in stereo, and you hear a soprano saxophone, and you hear the guitar right after it chasing it and kind of mimicking it but it's uh just a reversal of what actually happened yeah oh great i want to go back and listen now it's a very beautiful part of the music it, the, the two of them playing you know together that way it's really nice you know? there was a point there was a cut there was a mix where they it was gone and um 
I begged for it to be for it to come back. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. We tried a couple different. There was some minimal. Yeah, that was a, that was a painting that got pulled back and brought back, and because there was there was a very insistent and repeat repetitive Venova note on the front of each oh, board right. that was like driving you insane. There was like <laughs> it was like every time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it got a little it it that the excitement of that wore off <laughs> also at a stage in the record where we didn't know how many songs we were going to have that were going to be purely acoustic guitar songs with drums with percussion and it's that sort of pivotal transitional moment where you start thinking like maybe this needs to have more ornamentation um, so it's not like these others or so that this song does not represent our, um, our ballad, you know? So I think on that tune, there was an attempt to play, like there was some percussion that I played and, and, uh, and there was a little bit of like, you know, mi mixing and matching and muting. And then ultimately... Ultimately, I think it probably came back to a version of its original self with maybe, yeah, like a, more of a staggered mm -hmm. uh, arrangement of the the, the 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 response, those like one note. Yeah, kind of. it was it was temperance, like the tarot part. It was like it mm -hmm. it was at one extreme and then it got pushed to the other extreme and then it got brought back to a sweet spot. It was actually probably closer to the beginning than the but it was all, I like that. That stuff is all beautiful. because, And that's really, those details are, I might have opinions about, but those details are really Blake and Joseph. They're the ones that are really painting, making the painting. All the mixing is those two. Um, I might have a little bit of notes, but it's really, those guys are in there on, on, putting the brush strokes on and really making, you can tell from the music. It's like from the other records they've done too. It's there's like a lot of very very subtle stuff happening. Yeah, uh, Amberly and with the mixing, and it, it's like where mixing is, it's just composition. You know, it's all the way up there at that level. Uh, that detail matters that much. Mm. Another thing that I had to think about in Highway Bright where we talked about it doesn't feel like five to you guys also the first song and i'm i'm with you i'm actually i figured out after a while it took me a long time to to realize that jelly road is also an odd meter like it's in three but it's odd you know it's it's an odd meter wow. and um with highway bright i think you kind of work against the five by putting something that is a cycle of three on top of it blake saying that idea yeah there's there's another layer of two in the in the bass the bass exchange oh, yeah. that starts, we're both playing bass on that song uh -huh. and in, in the beginning it's just a double tracked bass part which is really fun to mix mm -hmm. <laughs> The pain in the ass, and uh, and then at a certain point, they they we started doing this thing where um, 
we we just ping pong uh one of the eighth notes um Another quarters if you count one, two, three, four, five, one, two, yeah. three, four. So we were playing off of each other. Um improvised. Improvised through changes and and uh it's like a it's like a game. It feels like uh like a um like a tongue twister or something. Mm -hmm. So there's the two. Mm -hmm. right, cool. Oh yeah, another boom, place. Because we end up trading off who's playing on the downbeat and who's playing upbeat, mm -hmm. and then there's the, the the three overlay. And then I have to learn relearn this for New York, but and then what I did for fun is I learned Blake's this offbeaty thing or that that the the three cycle. I learned I made it up to where I can do it. I just have to remember this one chord. So it's like it comes in, it's like I'll play with you. Just ten up. Oh yeah. I might forget it. I, I, you know, the chords are moving at a different rate than that part. So I made a part where I'm playing the chords and that at the same time for the live thing. Yeah. So just, each iteration of the yeah. top melody calls for a different. Yeah. So it comes kind of in word. on the third chord on the B chord. So it goes. Da -da. Cause I, I, I just like kind of took it upon myself to do that. And it's just a fun little mind game. And, and it, it, once you get it, it's, you know, I'm not doing anything really. I'm just playing the same thing over and over, but it's, yeah, it's out of phase. Uh -huh. The tension, the tension that gets built up on that song though, is in, intense. Uh -huh. <laughs> Even if that's all we were doing for the, for the whole thing, when we play it live, it would be, it's such a cool moment in the show because it's like a a, a music box that can go on forever. Yeah. You know? yeah. And new things keep you. See, you like your brain starts to find patterns and <laughs> shapes and sees faces in the 
static of it. Yeah. And at first uh, we just are improvising, you know, without me playing that part because that part doesn't come in. It comes in in a certain place. And I pretty much, I pretty much put it where it happens on the record. I leave it in. I think it gets muted on the record. It gets muted later and then comes back or something. Mm -hmm. I just bring it in where it comes in and leave it, but occasionally get lost and have to hop back in or whatever. But it's just the key is to start the cycle on the B chord. And then after that, it's, it's a little quicker than I can think. So it's a matter of just remembering the shapes. I mean, I know what the, I can in real time think about what they are sort of, but it's, the key is not to think too hard. They also, (laughs) they're all compatible chords. Like it's nice when they happen on top of each other, right? They're close to compatible, but if you played, if you're, if you played that progression, I think it sounds bad and it's in the wrong place. If you're up top, if you're so what, what I could just start at the beginning, uh, like with the D flash, sure. I said, one, two, three, four, five. See, sounds like your records. (laughs) I don't like this. You know what I think it sounds like? It sounds great. That's okay, okay, what right, you're talking right. about. I think it sounds like a loop pedal at that point once it's wrong. I like it when the bottom of the chords is perfectly triadic, but... This is my influence on Chris Weissman. <laughs> oh, I like, like it when it's perfect. <laughs> Another favorite moment of mine is... Uh... On top of a G minor chord. Oh, it says. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that uh, that was an instrumental initially that, and then Blake that I wrote, and then Blake wrote like a whole Fantasia section on it took a poem by Cat. There's only two other people on the record collaboratively. I can never remember. I haven't met your friend who does that. Yeah. Say his name. Without. Ben Ailan. Yeah. He's, a, um, He's an amazing musician uh, who lives in Israel, I believe Tel Aviv. And he's, um, he's a beautiful percussionist. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Studied, uh, I think in, in Africa, maybe in Senegal. Um, and uh, but he, he's also an incredible Ngoni player and and he writes these these gorgeous kind of small pieces of music uh Ngoni. He sent me one that um that uh I tried to work on and do stuff something with and it ended up becoming the music for Jelly Road. Yeah, so it's it's in there. And then the other time that we co-wrote at all was um a fez is like um, Blake, and it's it comes from a Cass McCombs poem that you then changed quite a bit in bringing it, connecting it to my instrumental, which you also changed, and then wrote like a whole other thing on. And that part you're focused on is in my original, but Blake made very subtle modifications to it based on how it hits the lyric. First time it doesn't hit the high note, I think. 
and then yeah first time it doesn't yeah and then but when it does hit the high note then it gets resolved down a half step right after in the melody in my original draft it stays up there and um i think the first one it does you're saying the first one it does pass through for a brief minute so let me say can i sing to that so my original I think the original chart of it was like my original chart was always just was and then Blake goes to um so that that's a case of something happening after temperance temperance yeah so it's it's um and that that note was a contentious note between us for a while because blake was taking it away entirely and then brought it back but then with this little shift to it and i think actually the way it ended up you improvised at least the first pass i remember you being out in the booth singing it and me being like like is he gonna sing it or not and you sang it, and you then when you came back around, you had, you kept, you kept it, but then you changed it for the second half. So, but it was definitely like I think the the way I sing it on the first half is how I had how I had that was what I thought it should be every time, every time, right? I think I don't remember if if, it, if I felt like it should have been like that for the the second one, but I don't remember ever wanting it to fully be gone. And maybe if it did get there, it was because I was having so much trouble with doing Mm. Mm. the, the, the F is actually like Mm. the one that vocally singing it like that vocally, it's a little different than the the sensation you get playing that melody against the music. And I found that like, it felt more clever as a as a vocal melody, uh, too clever. Yeah, right. The, and maybe that was where it got thrown off. Like, well, sh- does it now that I'm associating that note with that feeling? Right. You know, should it be in there at all? Right. Yeah, you might remember better than I do, but I do. I do think that the the success of just the little taste of it in the first section probably was what gave me confidence to fully go for it in the second one. Yeah. I think that if the story reflects anything overall, it's, it's that something like that was a very, very detailed. It was like, it's like everybody cared like a lot for days about like little you know just like little things with notes you know it's the vocal melody though what's that glute for your hand for your nails yeah i'm just gonna try to keep this nail on for another question the last chord of the i call it the a section yeah How do you call it? 
Um, wait a minute. Is that um? So what? what, what it's like a, are we in B flat now? Yeah, or, yeah, or, in B flat, yeah. and so, it's like F E B flat D. That's yeah, what I'm yeah. hearing. Yeah. Uh, well, that's an AIT. It's a B flat major seven sharp eleven with a fifth in the bass. Yeah. That's so. That's how you call it on the because I I call it a G minor six over F. Nice. Uh, we didn't call it anything. I mean, right. Chris does this. Chris has a cool way of using um, using a tonic chord as a five chord, as a dominant, as a right. Uh, where by by putting the inversion, putting the fifth in the bass, and having some treatment of uh, the one chord, that 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 clash as a setup for the, the resolution of it to the one right feeling like a five chord or a turnaround chord is that's a classic Weissman. I've been like, I've actually yeah. chills right now. Cause I just got so excited about music. I, I, <laughs> I'm like really obsessed with five, one cadences right now. Like I yeah. feel like particularly when you're really voice leading, you can just do all these incredible things. Like, yeah. And it, it, I really believe in five and I really believe in one mm -hmm. as functions. Yes. Like they really are real. Oh yeah. They're, they're, they're archetypes. That's like the golden ratio. That's, that's the Fibonacci thing that, that like you see everywhere in nature. You find it everywhere in music. I like this chord right before it too, which is like, yeah. which again, it was originally this actually. It's originally in B. Yeah, the guitar solo. But it's it's a, that was a fun move because the note that I like in there, I'll play it in B flat. The note that I like in there is this note because it's very close to being the more mundane flat six chord. But you know, it's effectively this. Flat six to one, it's or flat six to five, or flat six to five, right? It's even yeah, more which is, is it, this is a five. It's just voice leading yeah. five one. Yeah, it's like a Jacob Collier like major seven five chord or something. Yeah. But um, I like this change. It's almost like a plagal of flat six. It's like instead of this, it's like. So it's like this cool, it's almost like this is a, but it's still got this other information in it that makes it more flat six sus. It's all voice leading. It's just like, this is basically this is basically this, but make glue it mm -hmm. together and change one of the notes to make it better. Yeah. But it's just like, you can do it for the rest of your life and find new stuff in like a, the simplest little motions, you know? But the, that chord gets somehow repeated in the very end of the song, but it's different there. That's but Blake's first. Fantasia. That's what I call it. Mm -hmm. Because there is a flat six in that last section too. That one, I mean, I have to, I have to go back up to B or tune down, but the... Well, you're doing this. I know it in this key. It's like you're going... You're like... 
flat six, and then you put like yeah. a. It's actually just an E flat minor triad and first diversion, and then you go this, and then you go. But it's, but it's ma yeah, it's major, and then you go like this. Sing that crazy distorted note. Mm -hmm. He does that with his voice. I thought it was some. Oh, it wasn't. It wasn't like a digital. Blake can do that. He's like, he, he can do this weird. <laughs> Let's do it again. <laughs> <laughs> he can do this weird. I was asking Joseph about it because Joseph and Blake do distort shit. Like they they fuck around with like really cool, crunched, like. Like they're they did they crunch stuff. It, it that's definitely part of their palette is like almost like loudness war aesthetics sometimes. Like things are sound like they're breaking up in a very particular way to my ear. But that vocal note, I was like, what did you guys do to that? But I've heard Blake do it on stage now. Like, can you just do it right now? It's too, uh, it's too <laughs> embarrassing. No, I can do it, but out of context, it, it's yeah. very, it's yep. very weird. Um, you don't have to do it. I would hate to be put on the spot. We heard it on the record. We, we have the Let's see. It's in B. I can do it in B because it's uh, we're coming out of. after this. When it happens, it happens. Yeah. It, it is just a vocal thing. I've heard you sing some crazy distressed notes that I'm not sure how you're doing. Yeah. I did it the other day, too, when we were rehearsing and, and I was singing the melody of that thing. Yeah. It might need to be after eating something. <laughs> or smoking something. Yeah. No. Like, like, don't smoke. Yeah, I don't know why I can't do it. That thing is is a cool figure. Yes. I really gotta just lift up a little for the guitar players, though. Because there's two motions going on, and then and, and it's over the. Uh, Sets it up, and that I ripped from Mahler. Mahler's fifth. That's in Mahler. He's, it's over A though. Something like that, and then I don't know what that is. That's cool. But, uh, 
It's like a B. Flat seven over G. Yeah. That's how I hear it. Which is an AIT if you take out. Wait, the what do you call it? B flat seven over G. I'm playing A flat in the bass. Uh, um. Um. I don't think so. Yeah, because your guitar is tuned or? No, it's an A flat in the bass. That's G. Oh, yeah, yeah but this is the place where the guitar on the record is tuned down a half step. But, um, but I'm, playing, I'm, I'm playing the whole yeah, you're the, song you're up a half step. Right yeah. This is my voicing. Yeah, but on the record, everything the record, is dropped a half step below what it is. So. Oh, oh, so that's why he's saying it's, it's called. It's yeah, and, and, and I learned it. In B flat for the shows. Uh, I don't retune. Uh, so gotcha, 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 I'm, gotcha. I'm thinking in that key as well. So when you would get to that chord, and I, I didn't always play it, but at the shows I do that, which is that, which is a another all integral tension chord. Yeah. Gotcha. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and the last chord to me it always sounds like. Like there has to be another chord. Really? But I'm yes. I'm hearing the B flat over F. Oh. Uh. And I'm hearing like a result. It, it resolves to something, but it doesn't. Huh. And it's so such a strong feeling. It's wow. really nice. It's really nice. You're about to find that note. I can hear. Well, it's it's a B. I, it's it's the wrong note. Key. Yeah. Oh yeah. I should yeah. Have told you that. So that doesn't sound like a one to you? It doesn't sound like one at all, or it just sounds like, is it just because the bass note's the fifth? Not, not, not in that moment. Uh-huh. Oh. I'm not talking about one or something. Um, yeah, I, I feel like they're, because it, to me, that those feel like three bars. And I kind of hear oh. fourth. Oh, so it's like, it's like a Mozart thinking almost like... It's 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 coming too early, so it doesn't sound resolved. It's not in a structurally the correct place. Let me see if I can hear it. Three, and then it's like, and then it would be the downbeat would be there. Yeah, I hear I hear what you mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Not trying to complain yeah. or anything. <laughs> yeah, it has. The song is just fine. <laughs> it, it we could a, leave a little it, three beat a, gap before that chord. What if it didn't come? What if it didn't have the? If it went to? Uh, uh, As a whole note on the on the on the downbeat, would that feel different then? Yeah. It's almost yeah, like yeah. It, when it's in second inversion and it's a bar early. It's like the second inversion implies that it's aware it's a bar early and that it's going to give you something else. But when Blake fully gives you a root position, a bar early, it doesn't matter. It's a it's this stuff is so wild because it's all. And, you know, it's all psychological. It's music is so psychological. It's so strange. It's, but it's not imaginary. Like we're having these experiences that we don't choose. 
Like I can't yeah. hear skeleton is walking and be flat. I cannot do it. It's yeah. like it's like something is happening, but it's like so, it's all perceptual shit, like the optical op art or something. It's really wild. Yeah, and it also comes down to the way we've been socialized and uh, how um, how we grew up, what we listened to, right? I mean, oh, all yeah. of that informs the way we perceive music, but not fully. It's not, it's, it's cultural, but it's not all cultural. No. Yeah. It doesn't account for the stuff across cultures that don't, haven't communicated with each other. It's like, I, I will never figure it out. I don't think we'll ever figure it out. And any project to figure out like what, how, how, how music really is, is going to end up being some kind of like fucked up colonial, colonial, colonial thing. <laughs> mm. You know, I mean, like, it's like it's a it's a dangerous project, but it is really hard to pull apart what's cultural and what's somehow human, or what's what's in the what's just yeah, it's really wild stuff. The ending of "Press My Luck" to me feels like a ma uh, an ending that Thelonious Monk used to do. Mm. Like you have a song in E flat and you resolve it to the tonic. But then instead of the tonic, for the very last time, you go to a, a whole step below the tonic in a sus chord. Oh, is that what that is? Like you end on the four. You end on the rhythmical on your one, two, three, four. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think the chord, what you're playing, to me, it sounds like a D flat sus four sound. Oh, D flat, yeah. What is it? It's a. Right, but what's in the bass? I I think I miss I think I missed remembering what the chord is. I thought it was what's it? I think I thought it was yeah yeah, but I don't know. It was something. It that sounds like the sus four right now. Yeah, yeah, that's what I just played. But maybe that's not what's on the record. I think I think it is. My guess is that you're right, Pablo, but it might even have like a, it might even have an E in the bass, an E natural. Yeah, it's something pretty like that. It, Blake improvised it during one of the takes, yeah. That was one of those songs that you were doing this pretty often, but that was a song where the, the basic track is you with, I think, this guitar, mm -hmm. the Goya you um with just voice and guitar doing the lead vocal while you play the guitar yeah yeah so the vocal on that is like the which is yeah i'm pretty sure that's what that underlying thing is what about this yeah so the the um 
uh, it's a. Oh, that shit. Yeah. Is that so, something that just came to you in the moment? No, I, I think th there's a there's a version of um, Abdullah Ibrahim playing a song. I can't remember what record what record it's on. It's called Mama. M A M M A. And Cape Town, um, South African voicings with like sixes and stuff like that. And he had this, this like walk that he did. And it was Is just that like lower old. Old. It's like an old, it, it feels like classic, um, American jazz, like ragtime music. I'm sure that's where, you know, it's pulled from those influences. Is this that thing you showed me the other night where you do... Yeah, so if you're going, instead of going, yeah, so you've got like a, a like a six chord, like a G six, the E up top, and then you resolve it. Right. So instead of going just, you're going. So it's like an E minor triad going to a B, uh, an A flat major triad. Yeah. Yeah, which is just so sweet that little thing. Yeah. Yeah, but the nice thing is also that there's a C sharp in the melody that resolves to a C natural. Uh huh. Huh. Oh, does, does he do that while he's singing? Maybe because so. maybe maybe because there's somebody that's like an E E flat dominant. It's just somebody else going, you know, some kind yeah. of a thing like that. I don't know. Great little then, moment, and you're so unexpected. And, and to me, it, it feels like it hap it's happening in the, what is it, the middle of the second bar. Yeah, there think of that as the, the fourth bar. I feel it like slow, but you feel it like... And I just think of... When you love me... Two. Yeah, three. Four. One. Right, That's so, what I get confused about. So if, if that is... Uh, That's the to me the fourth bar setting up the one chord. So yeah, it's like a fill right. at the end of the yeah the cycle. I mean, you you might have learned or absorbed that information from transcribing, but 
my experience of watching you do it was that it wasn't, it was improvised also. Like it wasn't part of the arrangement. You just no. played it. Yeah. It's just, it's a move that you, you, you know, know it. Yeah. Yeah. It's in, especially on guitar in E flat. That's a really fun, you know, that, this, that dissension is great because you've got an open G string. And then you have this beautiful one for your, your passing chord to have that much body. Yeah. Because of the open strings. Yeah. It's, it's, it's unique to a guitar. Yeah. Pablo, we should probably wrap up um, in the next 15. Is that cool? Because I got to tell my buddy when we're doing our rehearsal. Does that work? Yeah, have, have Kyle start ahead never know. Okay. We have some Thai food we can heat up. Okay. Gab, do we have enough, you think, for three other people? Not anymore. We'll we'll figure so we'll it out. Order some, we'll order some food. We'll order some food. But let me just. Um... Cool. Is that cool, Pablo? I don't know what to say, you guys. You know, I'm so thankful that you take so much time. You know, it's it's incredible. Oh, it's, a, it's a. Oh, it's good it's for pleasure. us. Yes, it is good for us. Thank you. Thank you. But we got a few minutes, so we can do. We, we got like you know ten or fifteen. So if you, if you got anything else, we, we're we're cool, and I'll be present in one second. We'll solve food here. All right. I'm embarrassed to say that I was kind of. I didn't know about Wendy Melvoin. Uh, as I a musician. Yes. I didn't know about her. So right now I'm starting to get into her thing. So, but tell me more about her and what you think about her and what, what inspires you about her and her presence on the album. I'll go first. Cause well, Blake knows Wendy much better than I do, but I um, was very uh, influenced by the uh the prince and the revolution stuff um coming up you know like when i was 17 i borrowed a friend's uh brother was gone for college and he had like a little tape rack was there and um i i got uh i pulled parade off there the soundtrack to under the cherry moon and put it in my like little yellow sports walkman it was the spring of my junior year i was already making records and stuff I mean, four track albums, but just completely destroyed me and uh, still is my favorite Prince album. But so for me, I've said I've said this a lot of times, but um, for me, like the relationship that I'm most interested in in Prince is the relationship between not just Prince and the Revolution, but Prince specifically the trio of Wendy and Lisa and Prince. There was this time where that was sort of the core and um, compositionally, I think, too. And um, their influence is really, really powerful. It, it, it's not even about them influencing Prince. It's about them as a, like a little band. And I just, um, I mean, the world pretty much agrees that the best Prince is that period. I mean, it's not really a 
hard point to make that that was this the most special time. Sign of the Times is great, but it's disappointing when he fires his band and 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 it's just like whatever things I think pretty much obviously got not as good after that. Maybe that's not the reason. Maybe it's just that we don't all get to make masterpieces our whole lives or whatever. But um, I just have always had a really strong um, feeling about that. The, the chemistry between the, those two women and, uh, and Prince. And, um, and I think Blake knew how important that music was to me. And Blake has worked with Wendy. So ha- when Blake had Wendy come in, to play on on the record for a day it was a really big deal that was one of the times i definitely was attempting to be cool and i I was cool through the whole session and then at the end i just asked i just asked her can i say something to you you know and one by the time i started really telling her how i felt like where's those tears streaming down my face (laughs) but um I'll let Blake take over because like Blake knows Wendy a lot better than I do. But um, I will say real quickly though, that at the con the Joni concert um, definitely and this has been people in the press are saying this too. It was like, but you felt it. One of the highlights of the concert was um, the song's called a strange boy or strange, boy. strange boy. It's a song, really killer song from Hijira, you know? And um, it was a, one that Wendy sang lead on at the concert. And it was just stunning. It was so, it was definitely like one of like, particularly, I mean, there was, there was a lot of incredible things that happened, but it was definitely a highlight of the show. And um, that was really special uh, to see too. And she's just a really uh, generous and very funny and sweet person. And it's, it's just uncanny that I've, even met her so it was amazing to watch her track on on the music and and hear her kind of contribute you know but I'll... i mean there's she's just one of the best musicians i think i've ever played with she's one of the best guitar players and her her rhythm is it's like uh an infectious laugh or something like you just it could be that could be the only thing you're hearing her playing rhythm guitar and you just want to go towards it you know like and 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 participate with it and um i thought i thought chris did a really incredible job that day because that was that was that was an intense ex- experience yeah <laughs> for for you and i knew it would be in uh and i think it was after the rehearsal uh this is in the, in the at the gorge with Joni. after the first day of rehearsal while we were out in washington i was in a car with wendy and lisa and i told them that you were on your way up that you guys were were coming up and that you know what we were doing after our performance at the gorge and wendy said to me oh I, i've gone on a on a serious chris weissman deep dive and you know i've got a would you know would it be okay do you think he would be comfortable with with um you giving me his number so i can just gush to him 
And that was another, that was a moment of role reversal again, mm-hmm. where like somebody in, in my community who's aware of Chris has all of the same feelings, you know, um, uh, of, of reference towards him and his music, uh, that anything that he can have towards you know these people i, I think he's the, the, that that sense of confidence we have about this record i think um permeates across everything that that, that chris does and and real musicians um you know air quotes around real like immediately respond to it and recognize it yeah well i mean that's obviously yeah i mean yeah it's crazy that she's listening to my music at all i kind of like there's some part of me that has a little imposter syndrome about it or whatever but um yeah i mean it's just like a psychedelic mirror right it's kind of like what i was talking about earlier of like either you feel like everything is yours or nothing is yours or something it's like you know when i'm like adding like flowery like weird notes to skeletons walking on my Vanova. It's like, even the color of the Vanova, it's like this white color is like, reminds me of that Prince tape mm. where I first heard that kind of way of integrating jazz harmony into songs in a certain way, which is highly chromatic and, and just extremely flowery, you know, and sort of a wrench. And, um, so it's just kind of like it doesn't it's all it's it, it's just like hard to know like what it's just trippy you know and Blake has had a lot more time to um you know you're used to in a way these experiences just coming up in this area and and the connections you made young it's like for me it's like I'm 47 it's like a little crazier, you know, it's like, I mean, I, I, I got to like turn 40 and think people will probably check out my stuff after I'm gone, but I don't think it's going to happen for me, you know, and that's okay. But so it's like this part of my life where it's kind of, it kind of is happening for me. You know, if, if this isn't, if this isn't the best thing that can happen, it's like, it's it's like, this is like so sweet this time, you know, it's like just so balanced, kind of like the tour or something. It's like, it's like, it's not too crazy. It's not like I'm famous. It's, but it's like in relation to what came before in my life, it's like, it's just like, I quit when I was getting the texts from Wendy while we were, while me and uh, Julian and Joseph were driving to the gorge that day, I hadn't flipped out yet at the Joni thing because Joni is like enormous for me too, and I got to see her rehearsing and everything. And it actually ended up being the case that the big emotional impact of that was the concert itself, which surprised me because I was much physically closer to her. I was even up on the stage for some of the rehearsals, but then the concert itself, I was like, oh shit, like she brought something else and like it was like i mean that's a whole other thing it's like but you know i basically i was keeping my cool and i was like oh like i'm like good now with celebrity and even being around my heroes i'm like i'm chill like i'm chill i don't give a fuck like i belong here i'm like kind of cool too 
And then I got like those texts from Wendy and, and the effect wasn't like, yeah, I deserve this. The effect was like, I was, I was like 17 or something, you know, yeah. I was just, I went, I, we texted back and forth for a minute and it was like that real time texting thing. And I was, I just, I, I eventually, I was just like, I'm, I'm going to take a break from this now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, it, it, it was just like, I got, I definitely like kind of flipped a little bit, but it, there was a, just one thing more about the session with her. I just saw Blake's phone getting a call from Pino Palladino, who I just got to do some writing sessions with these guys the other day. And it was fucking crazy being in the room with that guy. He's mm. like a magic man. He is so, you just look at his body language and you learn about music. Seriously. It's mm. like, they're a bass player in the world that you'd rather be in the room with. It's like, it was incredible. And he's so nice too. Um, but I remember Blake saying when we were doing Skeleton is Walking, because Wendy played rhythm guitar on that, uh, electric, you can hear it on there. It's like there's some, like these notes kind of tanging out in cool ways. And it was this weird X factor thing where you said to me, you were like, now this shit is like happening. Like it was like something, and it was hard to put into words what it was. It's something in the timing. And it was actually, her timing was kind of loose on it. It was just loose in exactly this way that that was like, it's almost like she wasn't playing guitar. She was playing the track. She was playing like the whole thing. And what she was doing with her guitar was like micro-placed to like make the whole track turn into like magic. It was really cool, really cool. Just uh, incredible um, musicianship, like, just a weird X factor, like a magic thing. Yeah. And you yeah, her, her her voicings gave it this this kind of um anthemic quality, like these 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 notes that would ring out over all the chords and they like kind of mm-hmm. open open string, like an open string guitar part feeling. Mm-hmm. And uh and it and then also she even as the track goes to different places, like she kind of dynamically remains this one on this on this one plane and uh it that's what was that's what was just driving me crazy about it as, as it was going down as it kept building all this tension because we were look we were watching her wondering kind of where is this going to go and where it went by its steadfastness was psychedelic <laughs> Because the the tension just kept building and building, and the effect of her part and her tone w- was giving it this timeless quality. Like what we're talking about here, like being in the room with with the, these heroes of ours, has a it 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 heavily blurs the line between fantasy and reality yeah. in a way that you're aware of in real time, and <laughs> and that song was that was happening to that song all of a sudden the guitar solo in that song felt like purple rain because of what wendy was playing and so you just you're, you're you feel like you're flying in a dream or something and you, and that's probably what you said you had to take a break from because it's yeah it is uh it's there's some part of your brain that's probably active you know a psychoactive <laughs> chemical mm. that's it's it's trippy yeah 
yeah we didn't we the whole idea of like i mean we would never be like let's make a song like purple rain and ask wendy melvoin to play it that's just like almost disrespectful like it's like you know you don't mention like the most popular thing someone was part of to them really yeah you know or you, it's very gent it's gentle you know like even someone like tiny like me like my most popular song it's like don't say it to me i don't want to hear about it you know but it was none of that it was like completely uncontrived it was like we didn't realize we had made because the solo you had art the solo was already down yeah and um yeah so we didn't really realize that we had oh it was kind of like this is kind of like purple rain like a little bit like that the way that purple rain has like a long solo that has some of the main melodic hooks you know like princess there's some shit in your solo that it's not like it's like functioning like that it just makes you realize how much wendy how important she is to that song yeah Oh, hey Kyle, come say hi to Pablo. Oh, yeah. Maybe you'll be on the very end of the interview here. Oh, or this could be just the beginning. <laughs> Hello. Oh. Hey Kyle, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. This is yes. our beautiful friend our Kyle. Friend. And our beautiful friend Pablo. <laughs> nice to see you. Cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. The interview is there. The interview is we're 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 concluding, we're kind of coming to coming to a a gentle landing on it. Was is there anything else that's been on your well, mind? Yeah, I want to know how it was. Like, how is it to rehearse with Joni? What happens in a rehearsal with Joni Mitchell? anything and i think the 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 biggest takeaway from playing in that group and playing with her at this time is that she she performs the songs differently every time and so when you're trying to prepare for something and you're basing your uh your notions of what's going to happen off of a of a, a, a previous iteration i think that's where where things can fall apart but if, if you know if everybody on stage is as present as she is it works hmm. it's pro probably the only the only kind of rule of thumb for, for for those for those gigs and it's it's also when you it sounds overly simplistic because it's kind of a rule of thumb for anything for or playing with anybody, but, um, but, but yeah, that was, that, I think that's maybe why those shows were relatively easy considering how much pressure, if you stop to think about what's going on, how much pressure there, there, you can start to feel. Um, if you just sort of stay in the moment and have a little bit of like you know blinders to all the possibilities and stuff and and just kind of be focused on what seems to activate her interest as a singer mm -hmm. um, that's the if you can do that it doesn't matter what anybody else is doing or playing so that's kind of the goal
it was very real that she was in the moment in like, I mean, in a, in a, like a, in a, like a Herbie Hancock, like Wayne Shorter. I mean, obviously those are her peers, but like, it was like jazz master stuff hmm. in front of thousands of people. Like, and it, it really was one note at a time. And it, I was just like, I saw the rehearsals and I, and she was great during those too. But once I saw her doing it as a form of communication, it was, it was like, there was just tears like streaming down my face for the first four or five songs the whole time. And it would be like, she would just, and her voice too is like, um, really improved uh, from the period when she started to have trouble, I think from smoke, I think it, it was, it was smoking really. Mm. She doesn't smoke anymore and she's got a lower voice, but whatever you hear sometimes on the eighties records and some of that material at the shows was highlight too. some of that like night ride home and stuff was just incredible. Mm. But um, her voice sounds great. She's like, she seems like enlightened. She's, I saw her at all these rehearsals and stuff too. She's a very happy person. She's very happy. She's laughing. She's so joyful. And it's like every, and she's just on, on fire, like with her plate, her placement and her phrasing, it's all improvised. And she just go to some crazy low note and just nail yeah. it. It's fucking crazy to be in the presence of that. It's like, it's pretty sure that's, I haven't really had that experience before with anybody. In these, uh, show in in the context of the two shows that we've done with this band the the it emanated out of these nights at her house where for years it's been other people singing her songs because she she couldn't really sing she had to relearn how to do that and so very quickly in the last few months she has um stepped in more and more to the point where she's she, sometimes she's the only person singing uh like we'll do we'll do ver a version of night ride home and she's the only vocalist and we'll all just be listening in amazement at the house and and then the next time we go to sing that song we realize she's expecting she's waiting she's expecting to hear another singer started mm -hmm. so she's doing this thing where she's She's thinking about her own songs sometimes, her own songs as, as if she is Wayne playing along with another singer and she'll either phrase around the melody or where she expects it to be, or she'll invent a harmony or she'll, or she'll sing in unison. But, but it made me realize how melodically, how, how similar she is to an, an instrument or a musician who who wouldn't be that out of character to hear them play around a singer like that but to hear another singer sing around a singer and then to know that that they're singing around somebody singing their own song like she's it's like lightning striking twice kind of thing where yeah she's the only person in the world who could probably harmonize with Joni Mitchell you know <laughs> thanks for sharing that Kyle, can I ask you one question? Yeah. <laughs> what made you most happy about this album that these guys did together? 
Oh man, I think, uh, well, when I first was talking to Blake years ago about Chris and Blake said that he would love to do something with him, that just instantly I was like, yes, that needs to happen. And I want to hear whatever it is. And um, so when they actually did start working together, I was just like, I'm so, I was just so happy it was happening. And then to, you know, to actually hear, hear it come to fruition is just incredible. And like, just, just to be around, you know, the process of it was such a, 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 a joyful thing for me, just as a fan of both of them. So it's just amazing that it actually happened and yeah. you get to hear it. Well, Kyle was a really big part of not just connecting us, but I was staying with Kyle the whole time. I've been staying with him for weeks again, and he's our love. He's our lovely friend. Kyle was also involved in the visual side of the record to a, a pretty heavy degree. I think it, it it probably represents you visually Definitely. in a strong way, and uh, and and plays on the record in a in a kind of blessing it magical merlin-esque way he's uh he's part of the fantasia um the procession of of, of dancing brooms <laughs> in fantasia uh with all of us on the record and uh and and there's it's also been an an incredible experience watching joseph evolve over the course of the making of this album from from where it started and where it ended, I think he's really found a community, and uh, he's he's interacting with I think probably some of his musical heroes, you know, and you guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just been a it's been and it's a defining album as far as um, with our friend group and, and our peers. Like it's an era. Mm-hmm now over here it's really been um a, a, a pleasure to just be notice that thank you guys thank you thanks pablo thank you pablo <laughs> <laughs>